It's new Daldieb travellers and welcome back to what will hopefully be the only thing to survive the bombs dropping and be used as the template to rebuild society. Talk until the joy is gone. Hopefully. My name is Rooney and I will be there in the scorched, irradiated ruins of Harlow Town Centre, scratching out a living in the blasted hellscape, probably not even noticing anything different about the place. Hmm. And here with me is the man who would probably not even notice the world had ended until he wondered why nobody was sending him messages as he lurks in his bedroom. Ratchet. <laughs> is, that, is that fair to say? Has <laughs> encapsulated you there? I think, I think I'd just be so ecstatic at the complete <laughs> lack of messages <laughs> that I'd be like, oh, the world ended, good. There'd be one, one loud boom and then you'd be sat in your room, hmm, fucking noisy fucking neighbours. No one's even fucking messaging me anymore. <laughs> I, I don't. I really don't think I'd be that disgruntled. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'd be throwing a party to celebrate the lack of fucking bullshit and in it my would, life. It would be your kind of party as well, because yeah. there'd be no fucker there. <laughs> you and me. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be coming in like fucking Book of Eli, wandering in the beginning with a dead cat yeah. for us to grill. I'd just be like, ah, <laughs> the only person I want to receive messages from. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> I, um, I. As previously mentioned before we went live, I am grumpy. He, he is so grumpy, folks. I'm not in the mood to do touching. <laughs> in fact, I think it's fair to say every fibre of my being right now <laughs> is screaming at me to announce this is the last episode of Touching. Shut everything <laughs> just down. Shut it all down. And just disappear and then go and make podcasts where I'm not the host. <laughs> what would you do if you were not the host? Produce and edit. Okay, you could I'll just produce and edit this one. Happily. Just <laughs> no. finally go through on your... No, I don't trust you. Finally go through <laughs> on your threat of replacing me with Ash, and my life <laughs> would be so much better. I could just I could just send you the notes every week, pod, <laughs> <laughs> and then you could send me the recording, I could edit it and just put you it out. You could just be the silent partner. Yeah. <laughs> no, because then I'd have to do Instagram, and I don't do Instagram. So, oh, I'll still do Instagram. I'll just turn off comments. Just I mean, turn I off comments turn and off comments. Messages, can't I? You can. I'd rather you didn't turn off uh, comments because we actually get feedback on them. It's the only place we do get fucking feedback. Oh, crap. Um, uh, 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 well, I say that. We did get feedback uh, last week, on last week's episode, from someone who clearly paid attention to at least one part of the episode yeah. and realised you can send us messages directly through uh, our host because we got one. And no, we're not an AI. No. <laughs> Bleep, bloop, motherfucker. <laughs> AIs are even less original than we are. Yeah. They're even more derivative. Like we actually come up with our own ideas, write our own songs, do our own shit. We don't have to rely on chat with GPT. You stole my us. joke, you bastard. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, we're saying, you know, we've been doing this so long. We've been doing it so long, we're just in sync now. In sync now, yeah. Well, I thought you were setting me up. <laughs> well, I didn't know. See, I know you're in a bad mood and you're not always, you're not always the snappiest when you're in a bad mood. So I was like, no, I'll do it. I'll take, I'll take this one. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we'll stop talking about derivative stuff. Yeah. Just... Tajik has gone from being icky guy. The bane of my fucking existence. <laughs> <laughs> hashtag icky guy. Hashtag, hashtag Ken Mori. No. I never responded to your message about that, did I? No. You, you sent didn't. me a really long message and I read it and I was like. It wasn't really long. 
I didn't expect... It was really long compared to most of the messages I get. Oh, yeah, from me especially. I'm like, what are we doing this week? What are we doing this week? <laughs> That's 2.30? <why>. <laughs> Two days in a row because I didn't get a reply. Didn't get a reply. We could, we could probably talk about it. The message said... Oh, and it is quite long, actually, to be fair. Yeah, see? <laughs> I'm confused. My understanding of self-awareness is that you not only know yourself well enough to make correct decisions in regards to how you navigate the world, as well as understanding how the things you do affect other people around you mm. i wouldn't ever say that that was ego driven in fact my in my opinion you need to free yourself from the self in order to see yourself and the consequences of your actions clearly whilst talking about buddhism ken Mogi says that tourists that visit the buddhist temple bring self-awareness while the monks have none how can one be awake and see the world for what it is if they have no self-awareness and he says, I would have asked you this on Tajik. <laughs> but the next episode is Tajik here today. And I, I, I thought I would have forgotten it by the time we sat down again. And I was until you brought it up. Until I remembered. Yeah. yeah, I don't get that either. Because that goes contrary to my <coughs> understanding of, of self-awareness as well. Buddhism and self-awareness in general. They're like right? one and the same. Yeah. You, you so, let go of the ego and the self and you just... And that allows you to kind of not only figure out, like, see the strings in the world around you mm. and understand that 99% of the time you're being manipulated, mm. but it allows you to understand that, like, if I do A, B, or C, then D, E, or F is going to happen. Yes. But if I do G, then, you know, I might get a favourable outcome. Yeah. Like, we, Buddhism in itself is like we're all connected. Everything we do has some kind of consequence for someone else, mm. right? But not being self-aware and leaving that behind yeah. it seems like the antithesis of what a good Buddhist monk should be doing. Yeah, it's almost like Buddha, the, 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 the Buddhist monks there, because they do, they subsume themselves to, they're not worried about their well-being or their benefit. It's all, all their actions are focused on... Being selfless. Yeah, being selfless. But that obviously requires a quite a high degree of self-awareness yeah. so that you can acknowledge where this impulse comes from is it am i uh, do i want to scrub this floor because it's going to make me look good in front of the head monk or am i scrubbing this floor because it's for the benefit of the order and the temple or do i make tajig <laughs> because i enjoyed the craft i enjoy the making of it i enjoy sitting down with you and laughing or you know digging a bit deeper <laughs> Dig, digging a bit deeper and talking about the into the, this the... into this stuff than i can with most people in my life right do I enjoy listening back to it because I find it entertaining? Yes. Do I do it because I want attention and praise? No. Like, yeah. that is not the end goal of why I make this. I make yeah. this because I enjoy the craft of it. I enjoy the creativity. I enjoy the challenge of learning how to be better. And then I enjoy listening back to it because I do the majority, <laughs> of, 90% of the time, I find the two of us quite entertaining. <laughs> he, does, he genuinely does. If, like, I, I can tell um that he's listened to it because i get feedback almost immediately as soon as I, as it's the, the finished file is there in the dropbox it used to be like tuesday afternoon now it's more like tuesday evening <laughs> when, yeah, I go from when you go for work but, yeah because you know i have priorities in my life and work and you know earning enough money to not you know dying a, yeah <laughs> is a higher priority than not not be living podcast. out the book of eli what before the yeah. bombs drop but like, yeah, I like that. I loved that book because I was reading it and I was like, oh my God, 
Like I'm already, I'm part Japanese. I swear. I did wonder when when I'm reading this. I'm I'm, so, I'm, I'm a bit of a of a fucking weirdo as it is. Mm. Um, and you, you're like, oh, I don't get it. I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, really? Because I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I see a lot of parallels between yeah. you and what I know of Japanese culture. And now you, you sort of read that book and just came back and was like, oh wow, yeah, and I've got a lot more in common with Japanese people than I thought. And it's like, no, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like. I'm one of really the reasons did. I was going to recommend yeah. that book to you. I did one, but like when I come around, I picked it up and I was and I was looking at it, and you were like, "No, you can take that." Yeah, you go and read that. I was like, "Okay, so I better read this because it's clearly there's something <laughs> in there he wants me to know." Because I flicked through many books and he's not insisted I take it home with me and read it. No, that's but it's exactly why I left it right there where I know you put your notebook, so you would see it as soon as you sat down. I was like, oh, what's this? <laughs> um, what well, it's it's the art of Ikigai. Ikigai, uh, the art of being happy. Hang on, let's Google it because we should we should probably give this a shout out since we both really enjoyed the book. Uh, Ken Mogi, Ikigai. It's the first thing that comes like, up. The Little Book of Ikigai yeah. by Ken Mogi. Um, it's <laughs> we're not sponsored by HMV, uh, but it is in HMV at the moment in their two books for seven pound section. Okay, I which... will buy myself a copy because it's one of them books. It's the, I've got this book about Buddhism. It's like Buddhism in simple terms. Mm. I'd like to read it like once a year just to remind <laughs> just myself. To refresh yourself. <laughs> just to get back to the Zen place. But I could I feel like I could put this in, in a yearly rotation just to remind myself as well that Yeah, like, it's it's a really good book. It's I read it in an afternoon. I read it basically in an afternoon. I think yeah. I read the first two chapters one day and then I would come back the next day and in two hours I just smashed yeah. two or three hours. It's a good little book. It's it, it does it's eye-opening in some aspects because it's, yeah. because of the whole concept of what Ikigai is. Um, a lot of people don't realise what it is, and it's something that is, as he says, totally ingrained in Japanese culture, mm. but something which to Westerners uh, requires a little bit a little bit of effort to ingrain it, or you suddenly realise. Like I think it, I think I was well on the perspective change train yeah. years ago. Yeah, like. My honestly, I think my mental health issues over the years have put me in a position where money, attention, all these things that the Western world seems to be built upon getting yeah. aren't important to me. Like simpleness, happiness, yes. zenness yeah. is the most important thing to me because I didn't have it for so long. Mm. So I think I was already well on that perspective change train. Yeah. But it will it will definitely you'll have to not just write it off straight away. You'll have to actually go well, away. You have to give it a little bit of thought. Yeah. And I, mean, I realised it was funny because as I'm reading this, I'm like, well, what I'm doing right now, literally I was laying in my hammock yeah. reading a book and that is that is an icky guy for icky me. Guy, yeah. That is one of the things that makes it worth getting out of bed in the morning. And I was like, huh, how ironic. <laughs> That's why I said earlier, Tajik has gone from being icky guy <laughs> to bane of my fucking existence. <laughs> gives you a reason to get up in the morning well that's Just, your alarm but um, making money makes me go making money alarm, yeah <laughs> but um go check out a red bubble guys yeah because <laughs> it, it like what they talk about is like some people have ikigai in their jobs right like mm. the guy that some people find that gets up at like 4am to go and select the finest tuna oh yeah yeah mate you at the fish market or the guy that runs the most successful shoots sushi restaurant yeah that's all about like 
my passion is making the best sushi I can yeah. possibly make. And the world has bought into that. And it's like, <laughs> we will pay you lots of money yeah. to do this. But then there are other people, as he talked about in the book, where it's like, no, they'll do their job to pay their bills. But then it could be that writing comic books or doing something that doesn't necessarily pay them, yeah. but just pays them in like joy and happiness. Yeah. That's what you get up and you make money to do yeah. what makes you that makes it worthwhile going to make money. Yeah. Yeah. If you do, I mean, there are, yeah, there are people that, that enjoy the grind and the hustle and that's, you know, yeah, but that that's can, what they want to do. Can be, that can be Ikigai in itself is like, yeah. I'm here to hustle and to, to make my, take my business and put it on the Fortune 500. Yeah. Right. That's the mission. That's the challenge. And I derive joy by every step I take. Yeah. Getting to that I derive joy from doing that. Yeah. I'm not one of those people. <laughs> if given the choice, if somebody said we will pay your bills for the rest of your life, you never have to work another day. You know, you can literally sit on your ass twenty four seven if you want. I would bite their fucking hand off. I wouldn't sit on my ass twenty four seven. I have so many other things exactly, I would do. Yeah. But working to me has always been a means to an end, and not yeah. usually a very effective one. Yeah, me too. Yeah, like I don't, oh, I, I don't enjoy my job. <laughs> I love my last job, but that was an outlier. Right, that mm. was. One that was probably aside from working at Virgin, which I've said before, is not a real job. It's not a real job. <laughs> like that was the only job I truly loved, and mm. I and I was very very good at it. And I was surrounded by people that accepted the quiet, weird, yeah. attention shunning, awkward, autistic me, <laughs> and like never ever ever put me in a position where I felt like I had to be someone that I wasn't. Yeah, to get that kind of acceptance right they, yeah. they they were like oh no you want to park in the same parking space every day you want to eat the same boring cheese sandwich for lunch every day we're not going to judge you that's what you're <laughs> that's you we're yeah. just going to love you regardless right so there was a lot more wrapped up in that <laughs> than just the work but i was very good at the work and i took a lot of joy out of being very good at that work but for the most part and i work and pays my bills so i can do this yeah. So I can do the things that I really enjoy. I think I think it's worth expounding, just in case any of my colleagues do end up hearing this. <laughs> I don't dislike the job for the job. I dislike the job because I don't like working. Yeah, dislike. My colleagues are great. The job itself is yeah. fine. I don't even actively dislike the company I work for. It's just that given the choice, I would not do it. I would prefer not to do it because getting up in the morning, working for someone else, even just working, there just are doing some mundane shit. whose jobs are their entire personality. I've worked with, with several of them who, who would happily you know, do a 12, 13, 14-hour day, five days a week, because what they did is what they loved. Yeah. I work in IT fixing people's shit. That's not what I love. I, I don't think... <laughs> Ask Amy. I don't help her when she's got problems. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, my computer won't work in your life. Just bring it around. I'll do it for you. <laughs> yes, because then you can do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I just I was just like fuck that. I'll just buy a computer. <laughs> I won't cause the man I work to do more work. <laughs> I'll just invest three hundred quid and buy a new computer. It's fine. Um, but like, I don't think I'm exaggerating if I say seventy five percent of the people on this planet would also be like, "You're going to pay all my bills, and I don't have to work anymore." Fine. Mm. Like, they there, would are bite that get, there are a lot of people that would leap at that opportunity six months down the line would be bored yeah, and would, or probably even less than that. I know people that, you know, if they can't go to work for a week, they start getting antsy yeah. because they've got 
nothing else in there to oh, fill that oh void. My, do you know how many books I own? Do you know how much exercise <laughs> I could do? Do you know how many cool recipes I know how to make? Like, there are so many fun things that I do just for me. I feel sad for those people because what that says to me is, don't, and if you are one of those people, don't take offence to this. this <laughs> Please is don't not, at us. This is not a jab at you. I mean, do at us because we love the interaction. This, this is not... At a, Rooney, at Twitter. At, at me, yeah, on Twitter. Come at me on Twitter, we can discuss this. Well, I don't want to hear anything from anyone. Um, he, yeah, don't, don't message any of the others. I don't enough shit going on in my real life about all this podcast. Facebook or Twitter, come come at us and we can have this discussion. But those people who whose work is their entire life, I feel very bad for them because... Unless their work is... Unless their work creative. is something that they love. Like if yeah. I got a job, I don't know, fucking... If I became a streamer yeah. and that was my job, yeah, you know, and yeah, you know, even outside of streaming, if I didn't have anything else to do, I mean, I do. But if I didn't, that's you know, if that's what you love, by all means. Like, do you know how much money Noel Gallagher makes per day, <laughs> just from Wonderwall? Just from Wonderwall. We're yeah. talking like probably millions. Yeah, a week. So he never, never of, has to work ever again. He never has to write another song. But but what it, what it says there to is me. a man right <laughs> who who just seems like these days seems so calm and so zen. And whenever, whenever anyone says to him, why are you doing it? He's like, because I love the art of songwriting. Yeah. He just loves doing what he does. Yeah. But what what makes me sad is the people who have... <laughs> I'm just struggling really hard not to throw names out here, like names of jobs, but they're, a, they're sat somewhere in middle management in an office. Their biggest concern is is getting that re- the Jenkson report completed by Friday. Oh, no, the printer's not working. IT are being really slow. Oh, and... You take them out of that environment and they have literally nothing else going on. And what that says to me is that those people have never had, never been given the opportunity to develop other things. You know, that person could be a mar- a masterful sculptor, yeah. but they've never had the, op- I, mean, I know we spoke about this uh, a few months ago, um, but they've never had the opportunity to develop that. Or they've never even had the opportunity to realise that they like reading crappy sci-fi paper books, yeah. paperbacks. They've never discovered that they like playing the guitar. Yeah, they like they were never given these opportunities. Bad songs and recording them and just playing them to themselves and never showing anybody else. They've never left their co-host stood on the doorstep because they were playing a, a Longest John song on the guitar and didn't hear the doorbell ring. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and for some reason, my family couldn't open the door. They're like, no, not, not to him. <laughs> no, it's just, oh, fucking leave him outside. Lando's got the right idea. But yeah, it just makes me sad when you see these people and like they, they, they come out of work or they retire. Um, and that's it. They just don't know what to do with yeah. themselves. It's like parents that like their kids fly, fly the nest, and then they're like, uh, "What do I do now?" Yeah, parents who's the moment they have a baby. I mean, babies is very much on their mind at the moment due to a certain announcement that was made yesterday. Congratulations, by the way. Yeah, we're keep we're keeping it all on the down low, yeah. but uh, yeah, congratulations. Um, and the people who have a child, and then that becomes their entire personality. I've met several of them over the years. And their whole focus and their whole reason for being is I have a child. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. But what 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 do you like? Well, I, I like feeding my child. I like baby. It's like, no, no. You had a whole life before yeah. you had this child. Who were you then? Who will you be when this child leaves? I could see myself, if I ever had a child, I could see myself being that person that's like, right, certain amount of my life is over now. I have to dedicate a certain amount of my life to my kids. Oh, yeah. I mean, that goes without saying. But, like, if I... I would... I would hate that kid if I had no life of my own. <laughs> if I couldn't read a book, I couldn't do touching, I couldn't... I didn't have enough time to do 
like in general, I hate yeah. life when I don't have enough time to, to, on to my do own. You want to do to indulge in the things that I like to do. Yeah, like because they're your icky guy. They yeah. are they are the things that make your life worth living. And when you can't do them, you do get the arse and you become miserable because you're doing all the things you don't want to do. But you do all of those because they allow you to do the things you yeah. do want to do. But when all those things you don't want to do overspill or don't provide enough is the other thing a lot of people are finding at the moment is you work 40 hours a week, you get to the end of it, and you haven't actually earned enough to do the things you want to do that make it worth going to work and make yeah. it worth getting out of bed in the morning. You're kind of like, well, why am I bothering? General dissatisfaction with life. Yeah, you, you, you. people get pissed off. People get depressed. People turn to, to crime. And that, <laughs> that's like... I vented a lot about people that sleepwalk through life Yeah, before we went live. But a great example of that is the Your Harlow thing. <laughs> I Facebook. love Your Harlow. Anytime, <laughs> Shout out Your Harlow. Anytime there's like a, a report about a crime or something, you go and look at the comments. <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. Like, And it's just so, people are so deluded. They're looking yeah. at it like, we need to get rid of these people. And no one ever comes yeah. out and says exactly what they mean. Yeah. Because they know they'll get banned or kicked off or their comment will be taken down. <laughs> but it's all we need to take. If we get rid of these people. If we, we take this, this section of society and yeah. remove them from the equation, everything will be good. It's like, no. If oh. we if we change the way society functions, right, make sure everybody has enough money and resources to be happy yep. and comfortable Suddenly, a lot of these problems evaporate. Yeah. You can't send them all to Rwanda. No. Especially since it's now illegal. I don't. The other day, there was one that was about someone got stabbed somewhere. And all the comments were about, we need vigilantes in Harlow. We need some vigilantes. <laughs> and then some guy's like, if somebody can DM me the names and addresses of all the people that ride around on electric bikes with their faces covered, I'll go and fucking sort them out. And I'm like, just looking at it like... The phrase keyboard warrior is thrown out yeah. a lot, but they are the worst. Yeah. The ones who are like, and you know, it's some, it's like fucking Sheriff Gammon. Mm. If he could type, um, they're all on there on the fucking, I love, I love the Your Harlow page. It's great because you see some very interesting stuff about yeah. the town and the actual, despite it's very, very obvious, uh, xenophobic, xenophobic right wing bias. Yeah. That's because of the age of the editor. He's an old guy and he's, you know, he's that way inclined. <laughs> I was talking about the people that comment. Right? Oh, yeah. But then the commenters, commenters go on there. They've gotten better because I know I know several people that have called them out over the years, yeah. including uh, at least one person that did work for them at one point, called them out on their obvious bias. Um, they have gotten better over the years. But the absolute best part of it is the comments. Yeah. I'm surprised you haven't seen some of mine on there. A few of them, I've even put the touching fucking, when I asked you for your website, I've put the touching thing in there because oh, I'm like, no, do you not... think this is bad? I hope they click on this fucking link. <laughs> I'll be honest, <laughs> I don't. I'll probably see like one every couple of weeks because yeah. I don't engage with it that much. I'm not really on Facebook all that often. Probably every other week or so, I'll go on there. I'll see something interesting and it'll come up on my Twitter feed. And I'm like, oh, what's that? And I'll click I see, on that. I'm not, I, I don't get, like, I have to, if, it's, if I'm not scrolling through and I see it, there's yeah. no other way of it coming into my bubble. <laughs> like, I, I know what you do on Facebook because I get notifications about what you do. So I go and look at that one thing, but I'm not there scrolling through Facebook. Wow, I'm privileged. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't get notifications about anyone. I turn all that shit off. I get enough notifications on my fucking phone as it is without, like, oh, so and so's posted. I don't fucking care. I got so many of the people that <laughs> are friends with on Facebook muted. 
Yeah, it's the only way to do it because yeah. it just gets ridiculous. It's like, oh, so-and-so posted in this group you're not a part of about a thing that you don't care about. Yeah. Well, I don't fucking care. Go away, mute. Yeah. <laughs> Someone's having a barbecue. Yeah, it smells really so good. good. Yeah. It's oh, not fair. Probably our neighbour again. He likes doing shit like that. It's like, oh, it's Sunday and they're recording and the windows are open. Let's fuck with them. Let's cook all the good shit. Yeah. Is he ever offer any to you? No. Despite me frequently standing outside yeah. going, hey, smooth, food smells amazing. Oh, I'd love to try some of that. <laughs> I'm just waiting for a little head to pop over the fence. Hello, would you like? <laughs> yeah. Maybe one day, like, we should crack the barbecue out and I'll bring some, some I should, stuff. I should, yeah, do something, we'll... do some cooking that smells good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not no, for you. No, none for you. <laughs> this is all for us. I know I've made three times more than we actually need. But it's just so that we can put a fan here and waft the smells yeah. over. <laughs> no, no, no. Do not close your windows. You yeah, must leave them open. Yeah. <laughs> get, in the, don't, get in the hot tub. Enjoy the smell of my dinner. <laughs> I'm just jealous because they've got a hot tub and I haven't. we got a hot tub, but I just... Something about sitting in my very public garden enjoying a hot tub that... Yeah, your garden doesn't lend itself to that, does it, yeah. really? Considering you've got, like, literally a public field backing onto your... Yeah. yeah I'm not really a... You're, you're not really a public not, person, are you? <laughs> not really a people person. No. <laughs> Although, bearing in mind I had a bang in my grain, I thought I did pretty well yesterday. You did? You turned up, turned up <laughs> to a barbecue? quite proud of myself. Yeah? Looking like somebody that should be on stage at Glastonbury. I was like, wow, best compliment. Yeah, ever. like, you come to the door and there was... There was it. One of the guys was like, listen, he's dressed very well. Who's that well-dressed chap at your door? And then, like, we recognised who it was, and everyone was just like, wow, no, he's putting an effort. It's like, <laughs> I put on a pair of jeans and a shirt. And a shirt, yeah. And that is it. Like, I didn't do anything with my hair. No, except, you didn't, you didn't spend 10 minutes showing off your hair, no. showing off the grey in your no, hair. I was showing you, and then everyone else was just like, what the fuck? What the fuck are you doing? And I was like, this is why I can't have a central bath in. Because <laughs> I need to hide the grey. Because you turn into Regetti from fucking Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> oh, I was in such a bad mood. I, I needed this to cheer me up. <laughs> right, Touching his back to being icky guy again. Icky guy again. Yeah. You've got your phone in your hand. Mm. What what wonders does it have in store for us today? Do you know what we haven't talked about for a while? Lots of stuff. Nineties. The ninety. Oh God, yes. What are we up to? Nineteen ninety four. Still don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> oh great. <laughs> oh, you will, because there's. There's some stuff I, I yeah. Get there's to bound to be about. things that you know, I, I have. I have memories of the nineties <laughs> in general. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you were like what? Aside from like musical things, yeah, because I've read enough books that it's lodged in my head. <laughs> and I know what year certain things happen? Just general nineties stuff. I probably, I'd probably be like, oh that, no, that was late nineties, and you'll be like, no, that was nineties. Yeah, we keep doing that with films. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, right, I'm going to start with facts about nineteen ninety four. Okay. The women's air, the women's air Royal Air Force fully merges into the Royal Air Force. Wow! Can that you believe late? it took till nineteen ninety four before they were like, "Oh no, you're worthy of actually being in." in so the yeah, Royal no, we probably now. merged the two. Yeah, yeah. Wow! Okay, <laughs> blew my mind when I read that yesterday. Huh. Uh, the Channel Tunnel is officially opened by Queen Elizabeth II and French President Francois Mitterrand. Tony Blair is elected as Labour Party leader. Cool Britannia. So it was 94 <laughs> when Labour started, you know, transitioning into being Diet Tory. Yeah. Yeah. Jum uh, German supermarket Lidl opens its first 10 stores in Britain. 
Jesus, that long ago. I always love it when I when I'm looking for facts and I find one about like something that's a mainstay now. <laughs> something that's like yeah, and you're like really, really what? Was, <laughs> I didn't even know it was around till like 2010. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it was here then. Uh, the first episode of Friend Friends aired in America, '94. Yeah, we listened to um, Absolute. Absolute Radio 90s yeah. at work now. And twice last week, they played the theme tune from Friends. Oh, look, I used to have that CD song. single. Yeah. <laughs> it's as, like, I, I used to love Friends back in the 90s yeah. when I was a very, very young man, right? Yeah. I used to think Chandler Bing was the funniest. <laughs> but, like, if you were to sit and watch it now, you're kind of like, Ooh, it hasn't aged well. Chandler's like 50% of his jokes are still good, but a lot of the rest of it, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm not really sure why this is such a hit. <laughs> it was a different time. But the first episode of Vicar of Dibley broadcast on oh, BBC I used to One. I fucking love the Vicar of Dibley. Yeah, Jen, Jen, not Jennifer Saunders. Dawn French. Dawn French, yes. She, was, she, is, she is a funny novel. She is, yes. Yeah. Uh, the first national lottery draw is held. A one-pound ticket gives you a one in 14 million chance of correcting, correctly guessing the winning numbers. Today, a two-pound ticket gives a one in 45 million chance. What changed? Aside from the, the you know, they doubled in price. What more, changed? More what? people playing, I guess. Yeah, but I would have thought the National Lottery has waned in popularity because back then it was on yeah. it was on primetime tv it they was do saturday the, night the, the lottery the number draws draws and then when once that stopped I, I can i can see yeah. it in my head me too hear the voice this week we are using this machine named yeah this. excalibur whatever yeah. and set of balls number 12 and then when they um when that stopped being so entertaining <laughs> then they start having like game shows that would then like build up to build it. Build up to it, yeah. yeah. And it was real. It's not on. It's not prime time on TV anymore. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, the Daily Telegraph becomes the first national newspaper in Britain to launch an online edition. 94. 94. Oh, that's about right, yeah. I thought the internet became more of a, like a a general everybody thing at the end of the 90s. I didn't realise enough people had... Like, this is why it blew my mind. I didn't know enough people had access to the internet in 1994 that having an online edition of your newspaper mm. was financially worthwhile. Don't I you know what it, I mean? It was probably about this time, because I would have been, what, 12 at this point? Yeah, I was 12 yeah. in 94. This is probably about the time we got our first home PC with an internet connection. I mean, it was a fucking shitty dial-up one. I'd, we'd had like Commodore 64s and stuff for games growing up. We yeah, never used yeah. it for anything other than putting the cartridge in and playing the game. It was probably our 99, 2000 that we got our first proper, like, we're going to use this for stuff other than games. Yeah. And then it wasn't. And then we had dial up broadband for maybe a year before it was just like, oh no, everyone's getting like, you pay 10 or a month, you get unlimited. Oh God, no, we went through years yeah. of, of using the AOL. You got X amount of time free on your AOL thing, so we'd use that every day. Uh, you had to hook the modem up, and you could only use it for a short period of time at certain points of the day because you had to unplug the phone to yeah. do it. Yeah, and then obviously it was NTL. NTL, and you got the free hour. Oh, yeah, I remember that. We had that. You got the free hour, and then so then you had to disconnect your internet connection, 
for like 30 seconds to a minute, then reconnect to get another free hour. That was around the time that they would be like, you can talk on the phone for an hour, free yeah. of charge. And then all the people would be like, looking at the clock, all right, I'll call you back in a minute. I'll call you back in a minute. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, that was, that was a sleek black Fujitsu Siemens tower. It was a full set. The monitor, the tower, the speakers, the keyboard and mouse were all in black. And I remember getting it and I was like, this is it, man. This is the future. You were indoctrinated. And so. I, remember, I remember my mother moaning when we discovered you could play like video games on there. And I, you know, given the opportunity, of I would course, sit there yeah. and spend out. And she was like, oh, we've got this really expensive machine. It really does all this powerful stuff, you tell me. You just sit there playing video games on it all day. And now here I am, literally sat next to very expensive gaming rig yeah. designed just to play video games. <laughs> Uh, you were indoctrinated into like being a denizen of the internet. Oh, uh, very early on, yeah. yeah. I fell in love with it. <laughs> right, final fact. Okay. Sony releases its first PlayStation in 94. 94. Yeah. It seems about right to me. Yeah. It does. Because that's, yeah, I'm, I'm not a PlayStation person. I'm not, I'm not really a video gamer at all, but like I remember what was something about foxes. There was a game, it's like a flying simulating game oh uh, big news air fox air wing uh star fox that's the one I, Cause cause I remember, air wing is the ship i remember like being that dragged was, yeah, around it was on like, the super nintendo okay because I, I had that i remember being dragged around like comet or pc well one of them shops yeah. back in the day when they would have the thing set up back when they were still it. separate shops yeah <laughs> but when they would have the the game console set up in, in stores so you yes. could play the games and I remember that, and I remember thinking to myself, like, wow, <laughs> this is a world away from what I'm used to. Right? Yeah. Because I, I was into video games on, like, Mega Drive Master System because we were a Sega house. But then it all kind of stepped forward. <laughs> well, it wasn't my choice. I, wasn't, <laughs> I just played what I was given. We had Segas, but they were, they were second-class consoles because we were a Nintendo house. Okay. Thanks to me because I was like, this Nintendo NES, I need it. Okay. If I don't get it, I'll just die. I got it for Christmas, and then I got the Game Boy, and then a few years later I got the Super Nintendo, and then I migrated to playing PC games, but my brother got the N64, yeah, which was obviously the first proper 3D console. Yeah, I remember that you. was probably about the same time. <laughs> I remember you telling me this yesterday. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, but obviously they weren't here yesterday, so they you get to hear it twice. Notable albums released in '94. Okay, this should be, and these are notable to me. I don't give a fuck. Right? <laughs> These are Reggie notables. Yeah, these are albums not, not to the rest of the world. I find notable because <laughs> all these albums had some impact on my life in some way, shape, or form. It's now going to make me feel really old, isn't it? Yeah, definitely, maybe. Yeah, no, I feel old. <laughs> Park Life, Blur, MTV Unplugged, Nirvana, Music for the Jilted Generation, The Prodigy, The Holy Bible, Manic Street Preachers, Dummy, oh, Portishead, His and Hers, Pulp, The Second Coming, The Stone Roses. Protection, Massive Attack. There are some stone-cold fucking classics in that list. If I was to suggest checking out any of these albums, aside from the obvious one, definitely maybe. Obviously. My absolute favourite <laughs> album of all time. Um, I suggest Dummy by Portishead. Oh. It's an incredible album and one that I love dearly. My recommendation would be His and Hers by Pulp. Yeah, yeah that, there are some on there. Like, I love that. MTV Unplugged by Nirvana. Love it to death. His and Hers. The second comment is not as bad as, you know, it's made out to be. No, it's it's a lot better than the, the rap it gets. I remember getting Park Life, the CD version, as a Christmas present. Really? Yeah. Yikes. Like, oh, my God. Yes, like, people, we're old. 
but um, definitely maybe became the fastest selling debut album in UK history <laughs> when it was released and changed the course in the 90s. Yeah. Completely. Right, do you want to know what the top 10 best-selling singles were of the 90s? Yes, very much so. Number 10, The Sign by Ace of Bass. I saw the sign and it opened up my eyes. I saw the sign. Yeah, number everyone nine, knows that yeah. song. Number nine, Dupe by Dupe. And that, I pulled that face when I first read it, but I don't know. I, is it? No, because that's shoot. Do, do, do. do the internet. Because yeah. I don't re- recognise it. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. How is this the ninth biggest selling single of the year? It was 1994. People were stupid. <laughs> Number eight, "Crazy for You" by Let Loose. I don't recognise this one. That one, no. Uh, number six, always. No, sorry. Number seven, "Without You" by Mariah Carey. I have no frame. of reference for that because i'm not a mariah carey i don't i don't i don't recognize that mariah carey no. song no. number six always by bon jovi i do know this song. everyone knows that this song. Jesus. massive yeah. back in the nineties, and one of the better bon jovi songs i'm not a massive bon jovi fan no. but that's one of the better ones uh number five i swear by all for one and i swear uh-huh. by the moon and the stars in the sky yeah. I'll be there. My mum had that there. on single and the CD album when it came out. I bet you had this number four, Baby Come Back by Pato Banton. Baby Come, come Back. Bye 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 bye. I must admit I was a clown to be messing around, but that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. Come back. Here's my something something. With my, my rack of CDs, CDs and, and my CD, CD collection of Bob Marley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I had that. I had that on CD single. <laughs> my mum was a big reggae fan in the not, 90s. I was not as discernible with my music taste at like 12 <laughs> as, I, as I would become a few years later. Oh, I'll tell you what, mate. I'm downloading that. That's going to my next playlist. <laughs> Number three. You'll definitely know this one. Stay Another Day by E17. By E17. Christmas number one that year. It I know was, that I remember yeah. that much, yeah. Number two, Saturday Night by Wigfield. Oh, God. That was 94. Yeah. Fuck. I had that on CD single tape. <laughs> <laughs> Reggie the music snob with his Wigfield CDs. <laughs> oh, mate. I told you. I just said I was not at 12. I was nowhere near as discernible as I was by 15. <laughs> By 15, all that shit had been good, had been purged. <laughs> uh, and number one best selling single of 1994, Love Is All Around by Wet Wet. Oh, of course, yeah. It was at number one for like 17 weeks Ever. or something. Yeah. Offensively long time. I couldn't find a list, right, of the top 10 best selling albums of 94. Mm. I did find a list of the best albums of 94. Oh, like. this should be interesting and probably controversial. Yeah. So, number 10. Nine Inch Nails, The Downward Spiral. And obviously this is not just UK, British. This yeah, is yeah, this worldwide. is worldwide, yeah. I have no frame of reference for that, so. No. Number nine, Soundgarden, Super Unknown. Now, okay. the Soundgarden I know, I actually quite like, but yeah, I've, never done, I've never done a deep dive on Soundgarden. No. So, But number eight, Blur, Park Life. Okay, yeah. Number seven, Nars, Illmatic. Number six, Green Day, Dookie. <laughs> Number five, Nirvana, MTV Unplugged. Number four, Portishead, Dummy. 
Number three, Weezer by Weezer. <laughs> number two, Oasis, definitely maybe. And number one, TLC, Crazy Sexy Cool. Oh my god. Was apparently on this list of the best albums. TLC. Out of this list, Park Life, Illmatic, MTV Unplugged, Dummy, and Definitely Maybe are all in my collection and are definitely worth um, giving a listen, even if it's only once. He, he knows, he's not saying he's got the TLC album in there. We know he has. We, we know you got that. Yeah, TLC is one of them things that that's I on, that's on your buy. phone. <laughs> yeah. I never buy the album, but I might go and stick wa- uh, waterfalls on every now and then. Because <laughs> that's a tune. That and. Uh, the one well fuck I don't know it's been a long time since I listened to 1017 FM yeah um, number one for music and fun no there's the one aside from Waterfalls there's one TLC song that everybody knows is it um the passenger seat of your best friend's ride oh no scrubs yeah (laughs) is it TLC yeah I'm a big fan of the scrubs right do you want to know the top 10 box office films of 1990 yes that seems relevant to to our interests number 10 the Mask. The Mask. I watched that last year. Not great. No, I... The I, Mask sections are good, but the rest of it is shit. I once knew a girl that was like, The Mask is fucking brilliant. And so <laughs> I watched it a couple of times. I was like, this was better when I was a kid. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it hasn't aged well. Um, I've got the British box office. I realised listening back to one of our other episodes where we did a year, and we're like, that's not much money. They're not making much money. I realise I've got the British box office uh, okay. worldwide. But in Britain, the mask made uh, 10,443,000. Okay. Number nine, Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. I made 10,741,000. That was... Now, that, like, definitely... 94 was a year, right? It really was. Changed the course of the 90s, like... Definitely maybe changed the course of music in this country. Yeah. Opened a lot of doors. Uh, yeah, a lot of doors to a lot of people. Changed a lot of attitudes towards British music. But Pulp Fiction definitely changed film. Oh, yeah. Like, Jesus. Because for the next 10 years, everyone was trying to emulate Pulp Fiction. And be Tarantino. Yeah. yeah. Number eight. And I've not seen this film probably since the 90s. <laughs> and I liked it then. But I don't know if it holds up. Speed. I watched that a few years back as well. Where they're on the bus and they can't yeah. go slow. Yeah. Did I watch that or was it just an everything wrong with? Might have just been an everything wrong with. Um, I'm sure there's a lot wrong with it. Oh, yeah, God. But, yeah, from what I saw on that, not too yeah. bad. I, I might have to do a rewatch, see if it's worth adding to our list. Yeah, that made 10,842,000. Number seven, probably the classiest film on our list so far, <laughs> Schindler's List. Schindler's List. Yeah. I remember watching that serialised at school. Oh, really? In RE? Yeah. The only film I remember being made to watch at school was Samuel Jackson in it, set in the Deep South. Where he kills the... Um, the racist person. Yes, that's it's right. about that. Yeah. Uh, I want to say time, To Kill a Mockingbird. Time to Kill? Time to Kill, I think it I is. I think it's yeah. called, yeah. I must have been made to watch that about five times. Yeah, I remember watching that. Never it's a good watched film, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, I was. Not a very enjoyable film. No, and I was way too young to appreciate it then. Yeah. At school, we're talking like, like 12, 13, 14. Yeah. Now, I'm sure I'd be like, that was a fucking good film. Yeah. Uh, Schindler's List made 13 million and 50,000. Um, it's was, a big jump from the from like the previous one. Three million. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number six, True Lies. 
True Lies. I don't think I've seen this since the 90s either. Uh, no, I watched this a couple of years back. You can tell I went through a quiet yeah. period where I spent a lot of time watching Netflix. Um, it's a lot more fun than I remember it okay. being. It's, yeah. It's Arnie and... Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah. Yeah, with the, with the penis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a good fun film, and I think I watched it with the intent of adding it to our list. Okay. But I didn't for some reason. That made 14,508,000. Number five. Now, as much as pop fiction changed a lot in the 90s, this film also became... If memes were a thing then, <laughs> this would have been the most yeah. memed film of the 90s, right? Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump. Jesus, it still gets memed now. Yeah, 16 point, uh, 16,362,000 that made. What, what, uh, looking at these figures, right, what, what makes me laugh is Shinder's list. It's like, the pop fiction redefined cinema for yeah. years to come. Schindler's list is this highly acclaimed, deeply emotional, impactive film. Spielberg won all kinds of awards. Well, awards, for it, got, yeah. awards out the wazoo for it. But True Lies made more than both of them. Yeah. Which is just a silly spy romp with Arnie entering his comedy phase. <laughs> you wait till I tell you what's number four. Oh, Lord. It made 19,715,000. Jesus, that is a big jump. The Flintstones. The Flintstones. Now, that film is shocking. Yeah, but, like, we're discerning people, right? <laughs> we will watch Shinders List for its historic value, for its <laughs> filmmaking. We'll watch Pulp Fiction and be like, oh, my God, like... I've never seen a film with dialogue like this yeah. or characters like this before. But there's something to be said for being palatable to the masses, right? Yeah. When the Flintstones is outselling, or at least in this country, these classic I suppose what you've got to remember is they're cashing in on like 30, 40 years of fandom. Yeah. Because there was no Flintstones no. film. And then they were like, hey, we could, they've got this, this property. The Flintstones? Oh, yeah, I watched that as a kid. Everyone watched. I mean, the Flintstones came out in like the fucking early seventies or yeah. something. I watched it as a kid yeah, in course, the nineties yeah. and eighties. So it's like there was a lot of a lot of fans there, and everyone knew it. And they, yeah, they tapped into something and yeah. made a fuck ton of money. And it's like I can see a film about like Jews dying in World War Two <laughs> not being for everyone, right? Yeah, I can see a film. You wouldn't take the family to see that. No, and I can see a film like Pulp Fiction that might be lost on some people because it's not a free yeah. free act narrative. It's not palatable, yeah. really, right? But The Flintstones is palatable to the Pop, masses. Pop Fiction really made its name after it left the cinema. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. It, it built this cult following oh, that turned it into yeah. a classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how I remember seeing it. I obviously didn't see it at the cinema because I was 12. Yeah. Um, and it was a few years later. I saw it on fucking VHS or something. Yeah, absolutely. It was probably around... There was probably another later Tarantino film that came out. Yeah. That I was I saw at the cinema or I read an article about and they mentioned Pop Fiction and then I went and found it so I could watch it, so I could get context. I remember I watching like, it just wow, so that I incredible. understood the references everyone yeah. kept making. Because yeah. even at school, like you know, in ninety four, yeah, twelve years old, in like fucking year eight or year seven. Oh yeah. And there's people making pop fiction references and I'm just like, What? Well, the first half of the year we were in year seven, the second half of the year we were, <coughs> we're in, in year eight. eight. Yeah. Um but there's no more palatable to the masses films than the next three, I'm gonna tell you. <coughs> Number three made twenty million nine hundred and ninety thousand at the box office. Mrs. Doubtfire. Mrs. Doubtfire. 
Hello! <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> like, I couldn't... I remember as a kid it being lost on me. Yeah. I could never really... <clears throat> I was like, this is just Mary Poppins, but with cross-dressing. What's going on? <laughs> I, I never really got it, but I think if I was to sit and watch it now, I'd be able to appreciate it for... Like just how good Robin Williams was. Yeah, it had the silliness, but yeah. it was also it was it was Robin Williams, so it was nuanced enough. Yeah. But after you'd seen it once and enjoyed the silliness, yeah. there was a better film behind oh, course, it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Number two, twenty three million one hundred forty eight thousand. The motherfucking Lion King. Lion King. The Lion King. Akuna Matata. Akuna Mat- Matata. I saw something the other day, and it was like it was break down the uh, the whole Hakuna Matata thing. Is yeah, my uncle killed my dad, and he's now trying to murder me. Um, and like a little fucking meerkat just says, "Have you tried not worrying about it? <laughs> <laughs> Have you tried just not giving a fuck?" Hakuna Matata, okay, ignorance is bliss, motherfuckers. I saw that in like the week it came out in a cinema in a mall in Florida. Okay, I was on holiday when it came out. Is it my uncle who lived out there at the time, yeah. and. We- Pardon me, I've got hiccups for some reason. Yeah, we all went to see that. And I was like, wow, this cinema is amazing. Yeah, they do cinema. <laughs> going to the cinema, it's different. Yeah, yeah, even in the like early to mid-90s, yeah. it was like they had the sort of shit that we are just getting now. Oh, yeah. A proper like armchairs and air conditioning and, and fucking seat back trays. Yeah, and um, like drinks holders. <clears throat> drinks holders, yeah. Why, than... why did it take so long for I cinemas in this country to realise... Yeah, people are buying these bucket-sized fucking drinks, and they keep dropping them on the floor. Yeah. Only there was some kind of contraption that could hold it for them. It blew my mind when I, when I went to the cinema in Florida. I can't remember what we went to see, but like I walked in, it was like sweet, sweet, sweet. Oh my god, they do hot, they do savory food. What do you mean I can get a hot dog while I'm watching the film? Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean I can get like I oh know this place had like pizza. Yeah, I had like nachos, all that stuff that you now see now. That you now see, yeah. And like, and I was just being like, oh my God, oh this my is incredible. God. Yeah. <laughs> but number one, top grossing film of 1994 in Britain. Yeah. Do you want to take a stab in the dark? Considering I didn't realize any of these films came out in 1994, no. Uh, oh God. Hugh Grant? Probably Hugh Grant's most famous. Oh, with the, the granny knickers. Four weddings. Yeah. Coming in at 27,762,000. Jesus. Four weddings and a funeral. And I did see this at the cinema. I've never seen it. Because a mutual friend of ours who lived literally just on the other side of the road, right? Yeah. Yeah. Whose little brother told us to read Anna Dracula. Yes. He, he made me go and watch it with him at the cinema. Oh, really? Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. And I, I remember sitting there watching it being like, doesn't seem like a film for me, really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never seen that. I've seen bits of it, but I've never, I've never seen it because I'm thinking of uh, the, the Granny Knickers is Bridget Jones' Bridget diary. Jones, yeah, that's what yeah. I thought you were going to say. Yeah, no, uh, uh, yeah, four weddings four and weddings, yeah, I've never seen that. Just classic, like it's, Hugh Grant. <laughs> but it's the kind of British film that leads to that American stereotype of British people. Yes. Where it's all just posh and everyone's upper class. and Yeah. That's my memory of it. I've not seen it in over probably, what, like nearly 30 years now. <laughs> but I, I just remember sitting there in the cinema being like, film for me. <laughs> what did I go and see? 
when we had that fucking uh, cinema card. Oh, God, I saw so many films that weren't for me. Sorry about tennis. Tennis film. Oh, I, I remember going with you because the girl I, I was wooing or I was with at the time was wanted to yeah. go see and it was it was something to do with tennis, and was I it, it was literally just called Wimbledon, right? Might may well have been yes. Yeah. And I remember seeing it was sponsored by like the Lawn Tennis Association of Great Britain and uh, a national lottery grant. And as soon as I saw those two things come up on the yeah. credits, I was like, I've made a horrible mistake, yeah. and it was a horrible it was mistake. Like a love story between a tennis player and then like. The coach of the coach, somebody else, or someone. coach, yeah. And I, was, I just remember being like, oh, <laughs> I remember, yeah, because I remember, I remember you being there with the person you were wooing, and yeah. I was like, well, basically, I, I may as well not be here. Yeah. And I'm sat there with fucking accountant, just like, great. Well, he's here on a day. I'm here with my next door neighbour. Awesome. <laughs> that was a long film. I don't think it was a long film. I think it was only about an hour and a half, <laughs> but it seemed like a long film. I, I, one of the funniest memories I've got is from those days when we had our cinema cards and we'd go every Sunday. Every Sunday, yeah. There was one Sunday I was just too hungover to go. I just remember getting this text late, late at night, like, fuck you. I just sat through like the master and the commander because I only went to the cinema because I thought you were going. I hasten to add that's that was not from me. No, 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 no. That was that was from because I really like that film. I just yeah, I was too hungover to go, but there were so <laughs> many films that I I slept through on Sunday night. We saw so many shit films. It was basically, like cult. what's on that we think we can sit through. Right, yeah, we'll go and get. Yeah, what's the least? That. Uh, that was the least. The least film offensive film. Yeah. We'll watch that. Yeah, every fucking week. Every Sunday night, it was tradition. Yeah. Um, years. I don't know why I was sudden like as an is like a thirty something. I was like, huh, I like routine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the signs were there. All the along. signs were there all along. Just took you a little while to grow into your autism. Yeah. <laughs> well, to be self aware enough to understand. To understand, you know, that's what it was. I did something yesterday. I didn't think about it until I was walking home, but I said something about where I'd been yesterday morning. Mm. <laughs> And the person whose barbecue was just turned to me and was just like, the way you just come out with things. Yeah, your timing with these things is brilliant. <laughs> and at the time, I should have just said, sorry, I'm autistic. But it just never crossed my mind. I just <laughs> lost for words. I was like, I don't know what to say to that. Sorry. <laughs> well, that was 1994. I hope that was as entertaining for you as it was for us. Jesus, yeah. Yeah. God, it's so old. <laughs> Only like... Ooh, five more years to go. Five more years to go. 99 will be an interesting year. As the Seahorses once said, 1999 was a hell of a year. It was indeed. I like that. So I should put. I should listen to the Seahorses more often. Um, had, yeah, me too, because that one album. This is egg-shaped yeah. across the universe. Love is the law. Or love yeah, is, love is yeah. the law. That was a... Oh, my God, I don't... I went for a phase. I, I got, a guy I used to work with in one of my temp jobs... He was the one who first called me Rune Dog. Uh, Croon Dog, sorry. He was the first well, person that called I me that. I, I thought I was the first person to call you Croon Dog. Croon Dog was, was, uh, was a guy I used to work with. Okay. Um, would I big music fan. Would I know this guy? No, but he was a very big fan. I think he was friends with... Um, uh, is it Jenny Spent a Penny? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think... Uh, Bird, I think his name was. I remember, but I worked with him. He sat next to me, and he it was would, he in Jenny Spanner. I don't. Th- 
Was it he might have been actually? Because I I did I knew you worked with a guy that was in yeah. there because when we played at the town park, they played too, and I was interested. Yeah, yeah, it must have yeah. been. Yeah, yeah, that was that was the guy. Um, and he was he was big into his music. I I liked what I liked, and yeah. that was it. But we used to sit there all listening to CDs and swapping CDs. Yeah. And that's how comes I got a copy of Chef Aid from Little Smithy. Yeah. Uh, and discovered the song uh, Weird Beard. Okay. <laughs> uh, I can't remember who that's by. Um, but that was from sitting next to Little Smithy. And then I was sat next to this oh, guy. Will it worked there as well. Will it worked there. Yeah. Oh, fucking old Mike Sampson. Yeah. The, the, whole, the whole crew. <laughs> the whole crew were there. Um, and That must have been a funky smelling workplace, I'll tell you. It wasn't too bad, actually. Especially when they remembered to turn the air conditioning on. Yeah. Um, oh, not because of like body odour, just because the... The people you yeah. were working with. At there that were time. certain areas of the office you walked through, yeah. and you're like, "Yeah." That's where I learned to play shithead as well. Um, but yeah, I sat next to this guy, and he would be like, "Oh, what you listen to?" Oh, I listen to. He was like, "You listened to that yesterday." Yeah, I like that album. No, no, no. Right, you like that? You'll like- hang on a minute. And he'd go through his fucking CD. What? Right, yeah. Listen to this. And yeah, he put on the Seahorses for me. A blast from the past CD wallets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had the little CD wallets. I think I only had like half a dozen CDs in mind because everyone's always listen to. And then he was like, yeah, listen to that. And I was like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And then that weekend, I went out and bought it. Yeah, went up to, like, fucking Virgin or whatever. A good album. I actually, I haven't listened to that album in 20 years, but at some point last year, I remember reading this massive article. I think I, was, I just finished reading my Stone Roses book, mm. and I found this massive article about the Seahorses and how, like, behind the scenes, it was just chaos because oh, God, John yeah. Squire was just a nightmare to work yeah, with. Yeah, and he fucking hated... Uh, the vocalist yeah in the end he did yeah yeah by the end of it he just they they didn't even finish they couldn't even be in the studio at the same time like John John Squire was so coked off his tits yeah at all times he wouldn't even come out of his room he would just sit up there all day just playing guitar just trying to write and they could (laughs) never get like they had so much trouble actually getting songs down because he would rewrite them yeah I saw the guy do uh, the the singer his name I can't remember Chris Holm is it Chris Holm I think so Something like that, yeah. But I saw he did an acoustic concert um, last year, year before. I tried to get tickets, but I couldn't because they sold out really quickly. Oh, okay. And it was like a little intimate acoustic um, concert he did. And, yeah, seeing him play, he basically played the Seahorses, played that album. Okay. And I've seen some of the songs from it, like the uploaded and that. It's absolutely amazing. The guy's voice is just no different. How is it not? <laughs> yeah. It's like you wouldn't think it. But yeah, and it was still a really, really good performance. Just him with an acoustic guitar singing like Love is the Law and stuff. Yeah, Chris Holm. Chris Holm. One of them songs I remember, it was co-written by Liam. Mm. And I, Because I remember seeing it on Top of the Pops. Wow, this is really going back to <laughs> And I remember we're, whoever we're was... fucking aging ourselves yeah, here. Whoever was doing the, um, like, the commentating or the presenting, whatever... Was just like this song co-written by Liam Gallagher. Love is of uh, it was something and something. And yeah. he's like, I presume he wrote the and. And <laughs> 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 I've never forgotten that joke. <laughs> yeah, probably true. Yeah. Having seen his later attempts, yeah, I can oh, believe that. <laughs> right. Shout out the Seahorses. Oh yeah, they were a fantastic band. <laughs> um, right. Okay. Well, we watched a film. We did indeed. Surprise! Surprise! It was my choice, and I actually chose a film this week. Yeah. Do you want to tell the world which um, <laughs> which film you chose? Which film I chose? I chose The Ninth Gate. And when you told me what we were covering, it was, we're going to do a Johnny Depp loving. Let's do The Ninth Gate. And then I watched it and I was like, 
This is the least Johnny Depp film of all Johnny Depp films. It really <laughs> is, isn't it? I have full disclosure. Like, not only does he look 12, <laughs> yeah. he's barely even acting for half for parts of this He's film. just basically Johnny Depp yeah. walking around smoking cigarettes. Constantly smoking cigarettes. Constantly. Um, full disclosure, I was introduced to this film by a previous uh, girlfriend of mine, Amy and I were discussing this yesterday. Uh, she called me a dirtbag. And from... I saw up to the first sex scene. 26 minutes in. Yeah. I noticed earlier. And uh, I was back paying attention to the film just in time for the final sex scene. Because I was making my own sex scenes at the time. Oh, the one outside the, the one outside the castle. Yep. Okay. Apparently, what I should have done is taken note of the fact that this film had that effect on that girl. And I should have recommended we watch it a lot more. Yeah, like every time you went around there. <laughs> like every time I went around there. Fancy watching Knife Gate. <laughs> or just any film with Johnny Depp. I mean, had I put two and two together? Yes. Yeah. But I did not. Um, I just was like, this is a weird film about books and the devil. Oh, wait, they have sex. Oh, wait, I'm having sex. I don't even care anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, that's now, basically my brain. And now I've, I've had to sit through two hours and 30 minutes of this film twice. <laughs> Just because you had fond memories again. I had fond memories of it. And I remember thinking, no, yeah, that wasn't a bad film. And that was a long time ago. <laughs> From the 35 minutes I remember. Not a bad film. Not a bad film. Yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I have some trivia on this not a bad film. It was released on the 20, 25th of August, 1999, in France. The 27th of August uh, of the same year in Spain. But not until the tenth of March in two thousand in the USA. I did notice when the credits come up at the beginning. It's like this is this film was made in conjunction with yep. Studio Canal and Spain and France. It was basically all done outside of the US yeah. for reasons which will become apparent. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure I know. <laughs> yeah, because if if you know your directors, you know why. <laughs> I because I, I pulled it up on Netflix yesterday, yeah. and it tell tell you the director, mm-hmm. and I was like, I know that guy. I there's, know that guy. I haven't heard of him I, since the 90s. Yeah, there's, I have a vague recollection of something real bad about this guy. So I Googled it, and the first thing, <laughs> that, first thing that came up was his wife and how she was killed by Yeah. Him. And then I was like, no, that's not it. So I went back to Google, and then underneath <laughs> that, there was a, a subheading. A sub, yeah, another popular search. Yeah, I'm trying not to uh, yeah. steal your phone. You're going to have to wait about three minutes till I get to that bit. Um, had a budget of 38 million US dollars most of which I assume was spent on Johnny Depp's hair and his cigarettes. What the fuck? Where did they spend Where did they money? spend that? I don't fucking know. This is this feels like a five million... I'm assuming burning that castle down. More Rats by Kevin Smith is around this, like, 94, 95, had a budget mm. of six million. Looks a hundred times better than this film. Yeah, this film looks ten years older than it is. Yeah. Uh, the box office, 58.4 million US dollars. So what we're saying, like eighteen million profit? Uh, no, uh, twenty million. It cost thirty-eight, 38. and they made fifty-eight. Oh, sorry, fifty-eight. I thought it was fifty-six. No, no, yeah. So they made like twenty million, million on it. It's not bad. Just purely banking Johnny Depp. Of course, yeah. Uh, directed and produced by Roman Polanski. Uh, Written by John Brown John, which is the worst name ever. And if that's not a pseudonym, you need to sue your parents. Yeah. Um, Roman Polanski and sounds Enrique. like a nickname from the seventies. Like <laughs> what kid? Oh, you know what kid? Brown John. Oh, Brown John. Yeah. Uh, written by John Brown John, Roman Polanski, and Enrique Ubrizzo, which I can't pronounce. So do you 
like I don't know, I've done my research, but aside from uh, Roman Polanski, do you think one of them was Spanish or one was French? <laughs> and they all kind of you know, did it together. John, maybe that's what Jean Brown, John. It's not actually, it's Jean Vrujon. Yeah. Um, and obviously Enrique. Yeah. That sounds Spanish. pretty Spanish anyway. Uh, very loosely based on The Club Dumas by Arturo Perez Reverte. Okay, now I'd be interested in actually reading that book. I have downloaded the ebook. Okay. Because if it's any good, I will then go and buy a paperback copy of it. Um, starring Johnny Depp, Lena Olin, Frank Langella, James Russo, Jack Taylor, and Emmanuel Cena. Who was Roman Plancy's wife at the time? Who? Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Yeah. Was she? Well, he was definitely married to her. I'm uh, assuming okay. it was either after. Uh, either during film. or after this. Yeah. yeah. Um, all of the engravings appearing in the film were commissioned for the novel and not the movie by author Arturo Perez Verte himself. The only exception is the one showing the girl riding a dragon, which was altered to make it similar to the actress's face. Oh. Uh, I looked at them and I was, so, I was like, are these actual genuine mm. like Middle Ages inscriptions? Because they look like yeah. it. But no, apparently they were all commissioned by the artist, uh, by the author for his book. Oh, okay. Which is, that, that's the kind of attention to detail I can really get behind. Yeah, I like that. Uh, the Don Quixote that Corso buys at the beginning of the film is the very famous Joaquin Ibarra edition, published in 1780, which is generally considered as the best and most beautiful one. He also mentions the, fuck's sake, Hypnero, Hypnerotomasia Polyphily, Venice, 1499, for printed... A man, huh? For a man who will do entire intros in Japanese, you, you're like... <laughs> Some oh, of these no. words are ridiculous. <laughs> European. <laughs> yeah, European goes right out of the window. Uh, printed by Francesco Colonna, dubbed the most beautiful book ever printed. Okay. These amazing illustrations can be viewed on the internet. Okay. Just in case anyone wants to go look it up like I did. Um, the bag that Dean Corso carries. I've got some uh, really random trivia. No, there's no more 90s bag than the record bag, is there? <laughs> the bag that Dean Corso carries throughout the film is a small bag used by French soldiers around 1935. It was used to carry ammunition and other small items. It is called a Musset ML... MLE 35. Oh, okay, it just looks like a record bag. Does just look a like a record, record bag. bag. Yeah, yeah, I had a record bag one year for one school year. I love a good record bag. It's just they're not very practical no. when you're out doing shopping and you want to put stuff in there. <laughs> As a man who wears skinny jeans in the summer, like I did yesterday, like I ended up bringing my jacket. A, I thought it was going to rain because yes. it looked cloudy when I left. But B, I needed pocket space to carry shit, right? <laughs> if I don't get a JD Sports version. Is there a version of a man bag that I can carry and not look like a cunt? I don't think so. That's like, why I have a backpack. Uh, yeah, I've got a backpack, but I can't really you take it. You want that a little bit smaller. Yeah. You could go cyberpunk and get one of the chest harness bags. Oh, I don't want a chest harness Or bag. like a leg bag. I've toyed with one of them, but I would look like a bike courier. One year <laughs> at Reading, there was like a kind of like a army and navy store. Where yeah. they saw, and I remember I got this little green... Kind of satchel bag. I've um, got one of them floating around somewhere. Yeah. The, would that be acceptable? Yes. They're always acceptable. They never go out of fashion. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, I'm off to North World. <laughs> I, I need somewhere to keep my shit. <laughs> I don't want pockets like a certain bass player we used to have. <laughs> yeah, gods. Uh, Johnny Depp didn't take his usual $10 million fee. Uh, he took a much lower fee in order to work with Roman Polanski. He was already getting paid. Oh, God. It was already I mean, at the time, obviously. Paid 10 million per film at this, at this point. point in time. 
That was his standing fee was 10 million per film. And in this instance, he took a lower one because obviously they had a much lower budget um, for the opportunity to work with Roman Polanski because he was a fan of his work. I can't say I've ever seen any other Roman Polanski films, but I know. I know the name. He's lauded. But yeah, his his work is generally held in high regard. I mean, it's held in high regard despite what he then, you know, what everything else. Have you got a note about that? I have got a note about that, which is why I'm dancing around it. Uh, The voice of Pedro Keniza was dubbed by Roman Polanski. Polanski. Oh, okay. So the second of the two brothers was actually. It's Polanski. the same, same person. It's the same person. Right? And they do some yeah, weird yeah. split screen thing. Yeah, apparently one of them was done in a, a motion capture suit. And then they basically filmed the scene with one guy. Then he went through in a motion capture suit doing the other bit. And they superimposed the two together. Considering the way the rest of this film looks, it blows my mind that they actually had a, a motion capture suit. Well, you know suit. where all the FX, yeah. all the VFX budget went was on the, that one yeah. scene. And it doesn't, like, there's no reason to do it no. no narrative reason that they have to be identical. you don't need to be brothers surely could you not have just hired identical twins just just had them be brothers yeah. and use makeup to make them look just have them played by one guy yeah. there is no defining reason there needs to be two of them no. i don't know it's roman polanski yeah. doesn't have to make sense uh the film has a different title from its source novel the club dumas because the novel centres around a secret society obsessed with serialised novels, such as those written by Alexandra Dumas. Ah. Oh. Which is why it has a very different name. General themes and, and the book that they're chasing ends up being the same, but somebody's neighbours have come out and just decided, oh, I see. It's the, uh, the benefit sheets at the end. They're all <laughs> running it. They've got like 8 million kids out there, apparently. Alleged. Alleged benefit sheets, yeah, alleged. <laughs> we can start, start a counter like fucking haunted objects do. Yeah. Uh, the mystery girl, who is never actually given a name. I even checked in the credits yeah, to see she's the girl. The, girl. Uh, the mystery girl reads the book, How to Make Friends and Influence People. Yeah. Charles Manson also read and used this book. He then orchestrated the killing of Sharon Tate, director Roman Polanski's wife. Yeah. <laughs> Which is one of the things we were dancing around. I just... It's, it's a very... Like, I remember that book being massive in the 90s. Yeah, yeah. But it's obviously, it was way earlier. It oh, God, first yeah, yeah. and way earlier if Charles Manson read it. Yeah. It's, it's a very old book. It's still doing the rounds now. Yeah. One day I'll sit down and read it. I just don't care. Yeah. I don't want to make friends. I've got enough friends, thank you. It's like, has he got Wookiees? No. Has he got Jedis? No. Like, does the Empire <laughs> get defeated? Is it, no. is it Japanese? No? Yeah. Fuck off. No interest. Is he going to tell me how to be happy? <laughs> no, I don't care. <laughs> Uh, the little girl that stares at Corso in the Paris airport is played by Roman Polanski's daughter, Morgan. Ah, okay. Uh, what the about New York- the dog that stares at him from the middle of the street? No explanation <laughs> for that. It's really fucking weird. Yeah. It's a big-ass doggo, and it just stares at him for a few seconds, and you get this shot, and you're like, Da-da-da! nothing ever comes uh. of it. It's never mentioned or referenced again. Uh, the New York City sequences were shot in Paris because Roman Polanski could not set foot into America. He was still wanted for his 1977 paedophilic sex crime charges for drugging and raping the 13-year-old Samantha Gailey. The exterior locations were redressed with American-related details, and the skyscraper scene in the opening and in Balkan's office were translite materials taken from Manhattan. Yeah, and you, you can tell there's a bit where he's in the cab. Yes. And at the front, where he's meant to be driving through Times Square or somewhere, 
is the most shocking yeah. VFX you've ever it's seen. Terrible. But from the back, it looks way better because it's just some nondescript. Some nondescript street in in Paris. Yeah. Um, that's obviously the other fact we were dancing around yeah. trying not to say at the beginning. That's the thing that I have vague memories for. Of sorry, and I had to go and look it up because mm. I was like, I had a, yeah, there I was had a there was some there was kind some of scandal. That's what it was. Child sex crimes. Yeah. I love the description. He's 1977 paedophilic sex crime charges. And yeah. it's like, whoa. Um, at one point, Liana Telfer tells, calls Corso a book detective. Originally, the working title for the novel of which the film is based was The Book Detective. Huh. Um, I, like, I like that, to be fair. like, There's not a lot of standout dialogue in this film at all. No. But I do like the way she's like, oh, so you're a book detective. Um. There is a whole subplot in the novel regarding the French hotel's receptionist and his past interactions with Corso. Right. So this is Gruber. Yeah. Um, described as an extremely punctilious, detailed man who wears his uniform with military discipline, it is heavily implied he is a former Nazi and possible war criminal who owes Corso some sort of favour, which explains his attitudes towards him in the film and why he does not question Corso's extremely suspicious requests. I could never... Like the they even give him the moustache in this film. It's yeah. like, oh. I didn't, I would never have ever have made that leap. No. I was more confused of like, they have this relationship where he trusts him to do stuff. And he just <laughs> gives him, demands that he goes and does goes stuff. And, and does he does stuff. it. He's like, Gruber, I need this. Yeah. At one point you see him pay him and I'm like, okay. Yeah, he's like, it's like a couple of hundred francs yeah. or something across the desk. But I, 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 it, I was mystified by that relationship yeah more so like how it developed because he's, he's not been in france that long no <laughs> uh, he's been in france five minutes and suddenly he's already got like the um the porter no porter oh, the, the, the concierge the concierge working fucking, for him yeah yeah off running errands for yeah. him and stuff yeah well that that's why okay. <laughs> like is it me or if you're not gonna fully give the whole storyline of what happened in the book isn't it better to just skip Just that? skip it, yeah. I assumed it was left in as a nod to those that have read the book. Yeah, but then it's not like it's Lord of the Rings. No. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And you can throw like a, a Tom Bombadil reference in. And people go, <laughs> yeah! Like this is a random reference to a book that I don't think that many people have read. This is a film made and written by a man who thought it was okay to drug and rape a 13-year-old. Let's and, not try and rationalise this. Yeah, and the majority <laughs> of the people watching this film are there because it's being sold in the back of Johnny Depp. The Johnny Depp, yeah. Not the novel. Not, yeah. It's, there are, we'll get into this, but there are some odd choices made in oh, this film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, ju- this is one of the more minor yeah. odd choices. Yeah, yeah. Um, when Pedro Caniza asked Corso to guess what the initial LCF stands for, just before Corso said Lucifer, there's the sound of a fly buzzing around, yeah. even though no fly could be seen. One of Lucifer's other names in the Bible is Beelzebub, which in Hebrew means Lord of the Flies. And it does, it takes him an extraordinary amount of time to put to two, put two, two together. together and come up with something Lucifer. approximating four. Yeah. Wasn't LCF, wasn't that a song by Kasabian? I had a song called Elf's. Am I, am I misconstrued? No, no, no. They, they've got it's something f- like that. Three letters. Yeah. 
It was one of their big hits. I might edit out the quiet bits, so I might just let you all listen to the dulcet sounds of, of these children screaming in somebody else's garden. LSF. LSF. Ah, oh, okay. Yeah. That makes even less sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the pen that Dean Corso uses is a limited edition Mont Blanc Agatha Christie ballpoint. Ah. I you kept that in because I know you like Agatha Christie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I said I had some really random trivia on this film. It's uh, a pretty random film, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> when compa- comparing the Tefla and Vargas copies, Corso lays the book flat on the table. This would not be done since it would damage the binding. Yeah, of course. I have several notes on that. I'm going to get angry about that later. Okay. Alan Garfield was recovering from a stroke when he was cast in the movie. Who did he play? I don't know. <laughs> is he the guy at the beginning? I meant to look that up, okay? Is he the guy at the beginning in the wheelchair who gets his, <laughs> his Don Coyote sold out from underneath him? <laughs> Let me have a look. It's all the fucking live research being done on this episode. You've read Don Coyote. Don Coyote, yeah. I've read Volume 1, yeah. Oh, okay. Is uh, it is it worth giving a read or oh, is it? He's he's the oh the bald guy who yells at him in the lift right at the start of the film. What, what, what S word does he use? Your. I can't remember. Because it's really out of place. It's really, really like that entire scene. <laughs> it's such an odd scene. Yeah, it's so out of place. There's, there's a lot out of place in this film. Yeah. It starts, it's, it lays out installed very early yeah. on. Um, one of three movies revolving around satanic appearances to get a release in 1999. Okay. Which has also been interpreted as 666 with the numbers put upside down, obviously. With the other films being End of Days and Stigmata. End of Days is a good film. I think I've only seen it once. I have no recollection. I don't oh, think I ever Stigma. saw Stigmata. Stigmata. I've seen Stigmata, but I can't remember anything what about it. What was that it. film you and me went to see that was that just became a reference for bizarreness for years? I never saw it. That was Existence. Existence, yeah. Yeah. I never actually saw it. Did you not? No. I just I know about it purely through you two talking I about it and Dal telling us about how he pulls teeth out of his soup and makes a yeah. gun that fires them. It and was I was just like, what the fuck? So weird and abstract. And I had, no... I had it downloaded for years and I've just never got around to watching it. I'll see if it's streaming somewhere. We'll see if we can talk about it. Is, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, Johnny Depp smokes 11 cigarettes throughout this film. Is that it? Yeah. I thought it was a lot more than that. Like some of this budget. Came from a cigarette company. Oh, it has they, to have. they never, ever, ever shy away from the fact that he's smoking. Even in shots of like a table where you're meant to be looking at the book, there'll be cigarettes. There'll next be to cigarettes it. next to it. Yeah. Even when he puts the phone down, he puts part of the phone into an ashtray. <laughs> like there are so many subtle things that are meant to jog your mind. Which is back odd to cigarettes because they're very subtle with the cigarette thing. But other product 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 placement, like for instance, Shell, yeah, <laughs> is so brazenly in your face. Well, maybe that's why they did it. It's like even by '99, it wasn't really cool to be promoted cigarettes. No. But you could probably take the money if you were subtle enough. But, yeah. And what's going to make that look more subtle than Shell? Yeah. This is the product really placement obvious. over here. Yeah, look over here. Don't worry about the the, the subtle references to cigarettes. Chain smoking that goes on throughout. Every it's not just him. It's not just Johnny Depp. It's nope. every Liana character. with her fucking black yeah. cigarettes. And then the guy, the uh, the guy he calls an albino. Yeah, like, he's, he's constantly always smoking. smoking. The two Spanish brothers yeah. who literally drop ash 
on this like yeah. million dollar book. I've got, I've got to know about that. Um, yeah, everyone is just smoking like all the fucking yeah. time. It's insane. Um, throughout the movie, characters are shown to be violently handling the various priceless books. Yeah. Smoking, drinking, including red, red wine directly over them. Pressing the books into flat top tables, scanning them using commercial devices and stuffing them directly into shoulder bags and generally mishandling them. Even a novice, rare or antique book collector would know that all of these behaviours are extremely dangerous and can cause irreparable damage to any of the books. The only character to even have so much as a climate-controlled room for his collection is Boris Balkan, while the others just had them sitting in sun-drenched rooms or even directly on the floor. Yeah, matey, you has them on the floor. He says, no, 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 it's, it's like... I protect them from the damp and yeah. the rats and I dust them every day and it's like you've literally got them on a rug on the floor yeah. in your decaying French manor house. Yeah. No! It makes me angry! Like even Baroness Thatcher, she's got a gorgeous library. Yeah. <laughs> Not climate controlled. It's on one side of the room and the other side of the room is all windows. Windows. It's like, no, you don't do that with those books. Yeah. Um, whether intentional or not, the fact that Corso's car stops midstream while he is wearing an inverted pentagram corresponds to multiple European folklore traditions that evil cannot cross running water. While Balkan's car makes it across, he is not wearing an inverted pentagram. I, I do not remember this Towards part. the end, when he steals the car, uh, the Rolls Royce, and he's chasing Matey in his 4x4, yeah, yeah, yeah. and he goes splashing through it, his oh, car yeah, cuts yeah, yeah, out, yeah. bang, in the middle of the river. Yeah. And then in the next scene, he gets out and he takes all of that off. Yes, and, I remember now. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's a subtle nod or not. I don't know. Is... I like to think it is. Uh, in the film, the ancient book, The Nine Gates, displays an inverted pentagram on its cover to represent its satanic content. Yeah. However, the inverted pentagram only became associated with Satanism and evil in the late 19th century, due largely to the work of the French occultist Eliphas Levi. As these books were said to be in their original 17th century Venetian bindings, the appearance of the inverted pentagram is an anachronism. It was It was done the visual yeah. of like that book looks looks awesome yeah it does black leather binding with just a silver pentagram in the yeah. middle of it you're like all of my books need to look yeah. like this from now on I, 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 I couldn't read it I couldn't read the Latin or whatever no. it is inside but I, I need that look book in pictures. my collection yeah. <laughs> uh, and the body count six close seven oh. <laughs> surprisingly low body count yeah. uh, but you did yes and no yeah you can sign it. You can almost count them on your fingers as you go through. Yeah, but like, I've got a note that sums it all up, so I'm not really going to go too much into it. But this film doesn't quite know what film it wants to be. Yes, very much so. But we'll we'll get back. Okay, we'll I have several notes on that yeah, topic. Okay. <laughs> Suicide. What a lovely opening to a way to start it. And let's face it, this film would have been more interesting if we didn't see it. Yeah, probably. Because it's actually. Telfer, right? He's yeah. killing himself. Yeah, that's. True. And then the ho- but there's the whole way through the film. People are questioning. We killed himself. He killed himself. He sold his book and killed himself. Yeah. And now, so if we don't see that at the beginning, then there's a mystery. Yeah. And then you can maybe find some way to actually say yes or yes, he did or no, he didn't at the end. Yeah. But because we see it straight away, that whole mystery of. It, it, it just eradicates that mystery. Yeah. It's like, look, he hung himself. We literally saw him write the note, yeah. climb up and kill himself. Like, oh, okay. It's done very matter-of-factly. Yeah. 
I that, do wish I had a library like that, though. Oh, me too. But, Sans the noose. Yeah. I, don't, I don't need a, a power cable no, noose. But not, not even I want a noose. No, that's a really nice library. It's a really horrible I, way to die. I can understand. <laughs> I can understand why why old uh, Mr. Tefla, or Telfer, uh, spent so much time in that library. Because if I had a library like that, yeah. I'd spend all my fucking time in there as well. <laughs> if my wife was a money-grubbing bitch like her. I don't know, mate. If my wife looked like that, I'd oh, have yeah. a bed in the library. <laughs> if, if, if my wife looked like that, I'd go to the orgies with her. But... <laughs> <laughs> I'd spend the rest of my non-sex having time in my library. I'd have spanked that tattoo right <laughs> off her ass. Which, right, <laughs> I'm just going to bring it up now. I yeah. don't know where it is, but uh, that is the worst and least titillating sex scene I've ever seen in a film. Also, what kind of lover is he if he doesn't see the tattoo on her ear? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly wasn't doing it right. Not, not really a full-service lover if you're not like... Really paying it's attention. Like bish bash bosh. Yeah. Lay on the floor together afterwards. Yeah. Uh, I I have the the sums that I was doing earlier. Yeah. Uh, after he's taken out after at the beginning when Corso has taken out those two books that he specifies are particularly good, he values the book collection at five hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Uh, allowing for inflation, that would currently make that collection, assuming no other spikes in in you know or destruction of other copies, like say, uh, a foundation's very expensive library burning to, to ash, uh, would currently be worth $912,746.10. So almost a 100% increase, yeah. which is... I wish I had something that increased yes, in that, value by 100%, because I fucking haven't. Uh, pretty boring credits in this film. Very boring credits sure, in this film. but boring. Yeah. They, uh, I feel like they could have put... Um, I suppose by this point they had no uh, VFX budget left. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the idea of a film based around people and their libraries. Yes. Like the love of books and the love of having a library as a main narrative. It appeals to me. Wouldn't get made today. No, God, no. Because be nobody tablets. cares. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like, oh, my Blu-ray collection. Yeah. Oh, look at my streaming logins. Yeah. So nobody cares that you can stream these films. What What do you own physically? What media can you watch when the power goes out? Oh, well, what media can you consume yeah. when the power goes out? Oh, what do you mean? Your internet's down and you can't do anything because you've only got streaming services. Buddy, 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 that's a rookie mistake. You need to buy a book and a pack of candles and you'll be sorted. Exactly. Indoor smoking just seems weird to me now. Watching this film, like there's several points where he goes into cafes yeah. or something. He sat at a table at one point with food in front of him and he just lights up and He just cigarette. lights up or he sat there in the library yeah. and he sparks up and it's just like, that's, did that actually happen? Like as a man that was a cigarette smoker and used to smoke indoors of pubs, indoors of my yeah. house, all those things. Now I see it and I'm like, wow, that is Whoa. weird. It's weird. Yeah. Um, this film owes a lot atmosphere-wise, to Ghostbusters slash Ghostbusters 2. The lighting, the costumes, the sets, the characters, they all seem like they're from a Ghostbusters spin-off. Yeah. If you watch the early scenes of Ghostbusters and Ghostbusters 2, you could slot scenes from this film in there seamlessly. Okay. And obviously that was made in fucking Ghostbusters, what, 84? It is, yeah. Uh, Ghostbusters 2, I think, was 87. And it's like, this was 99. Yeah. This is almost like in the new millennium. Uh, in fact, there is there's even a uh, rare bookshop in Ghostbusters 2, Razor Cult Books, which is what Ray Stance does yeah. after Ghostbusters. Uh, and it, the similarities for me are so strong that it is now my official headcanon that the Ninth Gate takes place in the same universe as Ghostbusters. Okay. 
That is probably because that explains a lot of the the inconsistencies for me. <laughs> and validates this film way more than it needs. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I bet you would love to go to a talk about demons in modern literature. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I would. I. <laughs> I, I, I joined, oh, I've signed up to the mailing list for the, uh, what are they called? Society for Psychical Research. Okay, yeah. Um, and they keep sending me out, like, monthly, they send out these things. Oh, we've got these events coming up, and we've got this going on, that going on. I'm like, need to put some money aside so that I can actually go to some of these yeah, things. We should do some for the podcast. We should, actually. That'd be a really good idea. Reminds me, don't let me leave before I pitch you, you an idea about podcasts. Um, oh, Lord. 666 is the most cliched and easiest to guess passcode for a man interested <laughs> in the devil to have. It's fucking ridiculous. 666 is a really shit code for a collection of books on the devil. Yeah. <laughs> and he's not even subtle about it. He's just no. like, do, do, do. did you see? Did you see what the number yeah, is? Do, do, do. Like <laughs> the one in the lift and the one for the And the one for the, the actual dot. It's like, it's oh, like oh my God. My I know. God. You probably probably put it in there as a little like ah uh, for people paying attention, but I, I'm paying attention. I'm paying and, attention, and, and that's, that's just shit. It's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. um, you know I wouldn't screw you without good reason. Money, women, business. Apart from that, you're all good. Sounds like our friendship. Yeah, <laughs> that is absolutely our friendship. <laughs> uh, checks. Remember when when they were a regular? They were like regular sized yeah. and were used for anything other than like. Charity donations or yeah. winning lottery. When you used to have, I remember getting a checkbook. Yeah. When I got my first proper banking account, and I was like, "The ever-loving fuck do I do with this?" Yeah. I mean, well, I, when I used to work at uh, Sainsbury's, it was at the tail end of when people were still using checks. <laughs> and I had, whenever we got a check, I used to have to call the supervisor yeah. over because I was like, "I've got this thing, and they've given me that." And I'm too young to deal with this. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, and they would have to deal with it for me because yeah, I was get, just like. Yeah, the- the big plastic contraption where you would lay it in and you laid the, the carbon copy paper over and then you ran the thing and then you keep one copy in your till yeah oh, and I was just like I don't why who the fuck was paying for their shopping with a check yeah and that you, I don't know you'd go in and you'd have someone spend like, like 12 quid on stuff I think you pay for three days it's going to take three days for the <laughs> check to clear um the blood that drips down Corso's forehead whilst he's on the phone is ridiculous <laughs> is that CG'd was that, can't was that an after effect? Because it looks ridiculous. You know, there isn't a person on earth that wouldn't just reach up and wipe and it. just wipe it. Regardless of being on the phone. Yeah, because you, you could feel it and it would drive you mad. I feel like because he doesn't actually get through to anyone on the phone, right? Yeah. He's just sat there with the phone in his hand. It's one of my gripes with this film. <laughs> they felt like they needed to do something they visually. Needed, yeah, there needs to be something else going, going on. on. But that's just ridiculous. Again, yeah. like you would just wipe it off. The The... We, we, we discussed earlier where all the special effect money went, yeah. and it was not on the blood in this film because all of it looks like poster paint. The special effects, whenever they're travelling by car, are pretty shoddy. <laughs> the worst ones are on the motorbike. Yes. When they get on the motorbike, and it's quite clearly just a fan in front of them and on the green screen, and they're just like, oh, look at us, we're on a motorbike. <laughs> oh, there's a bit where they're driving like through the country. Yeah. Oh, my God, it just doesn't. Like, it's just so obvious. But then later on, when they're driving down the, the, the French motorway, yeah, they literally film them driving down the motorway. They, the exteriors? Yeah. They find them, but the interiors are there on some set somewhere. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. I was probably looking at the car. Um, um, there's, there's nothing more reliable than a man whose loyalty can be bought for hard cash. 
True, right up until the point someone can pay him more. Yeah, <laughs> I, I did not get that. Like, I think what he's saying is he's not worried about Corso having any moral qualms or yeah. issues around that being swayed by doing the right thing because he knows he can be bought. Yeah. And but, he's the man with the big bucks, so... Yeah, but as you said, all it takes is someone to come along and offer him, I don't know, $1,000 yeah, When you're someone like Boris Balkan yeah, and you're throwing those sorts of, you know, what we assume is, is big, big racks money. around, yeah. then you're not worried because you can pay more than anyone else. If you've just exited a shop with a dead body in it, wouldn't it be silly to get into the same cab that, that uh, you arrived in as a driver is an eyewitness to you being there? Yeah. <laughs> like, if I walked in that shop... I'd want to exit out a window, out a back door, out somewhere where no one's going to know. Well, at least play it casual because he comes out looking all stressed yeah. and, uh, to the point where the driver says, no problem. Yeah. And it's like, come out, you play it casual, you get in. So then if when the guy's reported dead, you get, no, no, he was fine when I saw him. Yeah, I can yeah. have little work the New York City cab drivers get. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I'll just drop you off and wait here for like however long it takes. Meter's running, mate. Meter's running. Yeah, I suppose. Um, I treat my books better than the supposed bibliophiles in this film. And most of mine are neither rare nor expensive. One exact next note. All these people are surrounded by books that are centuries old and they have no compunction of house smoking around them. It drives me insane. Yeah, me too. Um, do you walk around at home with your shirt hanging open? Or is it only people with 90s Johnny Depp physique that get to do that? It's only people with that 90s I, Johnny I, I wanted to establish because I don't do that. Because no, no one needs to see my middle-aged spread dangling above my jeans. I'm not doing too bad at the moment. I'm not doing too bad at the moment. Yeah, fuck off. No one wants to see the fact that you've lost weight. <laughs> um, this film could do with being slightly faster paced. Now, yeah, this is one of my gripes in this film that there are like 20-second, 30-second segments here and there just do not need to be there. No, it's, the pacing is very odd. Yeah, the pacing is odd in its, in itself, but the editing, like, there's a scene where Johnny Depp's character needs to do A, B yeah. or C, right? But the scene will start with him walking to the chair, sitting down, pulling out a cigarette, yeah. lighting the cigarette. Starts 30 seconds before it needs to. Taking a to. path, and then it will turn around and do the thing. If you just cut him at the table, cigarette already lit, doing the thing... The film just in like just those tiny smoother. little increments yeah. will speed the film up. But then, like the bit with him and the girl, he meets that girl so many times before she actually does anything. Yeah, it's like you. It be, then becomes so obvious to the yeah. watcher that she's going to play a part. She's, she's paying. She, there, there is something important about this character. So there's less mystery. There's less like trying to figure stuff out because you can tell before she does anything of note, yeah. that she's going to play a part. It's like cut half of them out. Just hint. Just hint, yeah. And then... Have her in the crowd somewhere rather than just sat there wearing the same outfit for the entire just film. have her at that talk where he sees her walk out of the room. Yeah. And then you don't need her behind the books and the shelf. You don't need her on the train. You can yeah. just see her one one day in a in the hotel, and then follow her and then have one and conversation. then have a conversation. It just, yeah, it just seems to be so I think, much. I think I know what the problem is. One of the websites I went on doing my research for this described it as a noir, what was it, a noir horror thriller. And if you've ever watched uh, a proper noir film, mm. they're all about that. They're all about the long, lingering uh, shots of someone sparking a cigarette, doing mundane things but that's the style of the film and that's the way they're shot 
this film is not a noir film. No, not not by it, any. It tries to throw in these little noir scenes and shots, but they're so randomly dispersed throughout the film that it just, like you said, you just get thirty seconds of yeah. film that you don't need. No, and it just really messes with the pacing of the film. Like, how long does he spend dithering about in fucking supposed to be Manhattan? Yeah, at the start of the film really doing anything no but at the same time they're not really either establishing no. who his character is no they try desperately yeah like when he meets Balkan and he's like oh you're this I think you're this kind of guy yeah, yeah. Kind get of a guy. lot of exposition on and the character he go first goes to his mate Bertie's, Bertie's shop the bookshop yeah 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 there's a little back and forth but they don't they neither give you enough information that you actually get a good understanding of who the character is meant yeah. to be or they don't just skip it and give you this two-dimensional character. Yeah, you either need like nothing or a little bit more than you get. Yeah, especially I think the most the most glaring one to me is with uh, Bertie when he goes in and he finds him dead. Yeah, it's like he treats the whole thing as distasteful rather than the fact you know, either he wouldn't care but would be panicked. Yeah, or he would be upset because this is his friend. He's neither no. one nor the other. He just seems slightly put out and. Ick, a little bit ick about it. Ooh, 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 dead body. Yeah, and then, but at no point does he, like, call the police. No. He stops at a phone box. To call Balkan rather than the fucking police. Yeah. It's it like, just... if they wanted to prosecute someone for this, buddy, you've put yourself right in the frame because you keep going to see these people. Yeah. Then they die, and you don't call the police. Yeah. <laughs> like, I get what you're saying about People want it to be a noir. Yeah. But the reason they do a lot of that stuff in noir films is to build tension. Yeah. In, and to kind of make you kind of inch closer to the edge of your seat. Yeah. And this doesn't have... But this under this film, I haven't got a note about it, so I'll just bring it up now. It undermines that whole idea. Yeah. With its music choices. Absolutely. Like, the first time you find a dead body, there's some, like, jaunty... Bit of music. Where is in. this? Where is I have a I have a note that basically I think uses the word jaunty. Um da, 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 da. What's, what's the music for this written by Elmer Bernstein? If not, the composer should really be sending a fruit basket to him. Fruit basket to him. It's actually written by a Polish guy, Wojciech Woshek Kilar or something. Yeah. Because Seriously, the music in this film often does not fit with what is happening on screen. Nice, no, totally bipolar. Jaunty, quirky little numbers accompany murder and mayhem or yeah. disturbing revelations. And you've got like this. It's like, he's literally just found someone murdered. So, in one way, yeah, you're giving us these staples of noir filmmaking and you're trying yeah. to build tension and you're trying to create a thriller. But then you're completely undermining yourself with your musical choices. Yeah. Because. The musical choices say to me that somewhere, someone somewhere has made a a decision that we don't want this film to be as dark as it is. Yes. So at the really dark moments when you find a dead body <laughs> is when there should be mass tension and a real piece of sinister music. We're going to throw something jaunty in there. throw something lighthearted in there. So lighten it up and make it more like a... It's like... A TV movie. It, the music is the most egregious yeah. example of that. But the actual, like tone shifting and and portrayal of characters as well because you've got some really like light-hearted humor and flow throwaway flippant yeah. comments 
alongside like this this gritty violence and death. Yeah. Uh, and then you've got like some devil worshiping going on and some bad puns being thrown in. Yeah. And it's like what it's it's almost like they made this supernatural comedy in the vein of Ghostbusters. Yeah. And then got to the end and were like, shit, this is supposed to be uh, supposed to be dark. And then went back and added the yeah. violence and the sex and all that sort of thing. The fight scene by the canal is awful. I've got that one. Yes, that is a terrible fight and scene. And there's the one where they're on the stairs and he disarms him. Oh, oh yeah, that's ridiculous. God, do another take. Look out! Yeah. <laughs> it's just awful. But the action... Like you just said, it felt felt like an afterthought. Yes. Like they that down by the canal, like I my college drama class <laughs> was better choreographed. It was awful. I don't know who choreographed that fight. But fucking bad. They should be shot. Yeah. Um, um Films like this from the eighties and nineties invariably had rich old men in expensive suits, like Balkan, uh, cast as the villain of the piece. They taught us they were all devious, ruthless, and selfish. And now they wonder why we all grew up and don't trust rich old people in expensive clothes. It's like, Hollywood, you made a rod for your own back. <laughs> you know, in films and TV yeah. and everything, you know, the rich old guy was the villain. And you couldn't trust them because they would betray you and they were only in it for their own ends and fuck everybody else. And now we get up and the rich people are like, why don't the poor people trust us? It's like, guys, Really? Um, the angel, or whoever she is. Yes, the whore of Babylon. Is wearing Reebok classics. Yes. Right. I used to have a pair of them. Oh, God. <laughs> almost I the same, <laughs> almost exactly the same as hers. Many pairs of Reebok classics so back in the 90s. Yeah. Um, now, am I dumb? Yes. For not knowing ex- oh, sorry. exactly what she is meant to be. No, because I, I had to Google it. Oh, did you, did you actually I was find like, out? well, who the fuck is she supposed to be? One uh, minute, I think, like, let, let me just talk you Yeah, through. yeah. Because she turns up anytime he's in trouble. Yes. And he says, well, are you my guardian angel? Yeah. So I am thinking she's blonde, she's a female. Like, we've already established that the old man is the villain. The blonde female should be, like, the angel, right? Yeah. Should be his guardian angel. She's helping him because he's going to stop something that's going to let the devil out. Yes. But then... <laughs> she does some weird thing with blood with on his blood. head and the eyes in the bedroom. Yeah. That doesn't really that I can only make sense if I project onto yeah. it. Then at the end, when he stays the day, they have some weird They have this weird ritual sex thing. Outside when the devil was meant to have appeared. Yeah. So is she And then she tells him, Oh, it didn't work because one of them's fake. Yeah. And then basically tells him where to find the real one so he can complete the ritual and summon the devil. And I looked it up. There, there's a couple of schools of thought on it. Um, some people think she's a she's some kind of crazy cultist who has actually spoken to the devil and completed this ritual before, which is why she's in the engraving. Okay. Um, others say that she is, in fact, uh, an angel that was sent down from heaven and has been trapped on earth for however many years waiting for someone to yeah. to complete this sort of thing. Um, the other prevailing theory is that she is the whore of Babylon. And that seems to be the most popular one. All of like, the, you, you do a Google on this and most of them say, oh, she's the whore of Babylon. I've never heard of the whore of Babylon before. Um, she was a, a biblical character whose own personal downfall was linked to and mirrored by the fall of the city state of Babylon. Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, apparently she's 
imbued with some kind of supernatural powers and it's like but this doesn't make any sense that's the thing because like they go as far as to show you gliding through the air and yeah. doing these things that a normal human can't do but then they don't ever give you enough information you can't piece together no. what it is and I get mystery and I get stuff that's a bit yeah. ended. like we were talking about Paul Garrosso and like how we had, we figured out what's yeah, going on we have to figure it out but they give you enough yeah. clues to do that here nothing just, here here this feels more like Hancock yeah where there's this whole big mythology around it but they just, they don't, just don't tell you about it I, my, my personal view is that she is some kind of fallen angel yeah me too who's been cast out of heaven post Lucifer yeah. and that whole his whole angels rebellion she's done something to get pissed off and has been sent down to earth so she's now all just like I'm just gonna fuck about almost find like, out almost like Porco she's trying to redeem herself so she can get back to I don't think she even is I think she's she's kind of like you she just doesn't give a fuck oh, she's enough. just like yeah let's just do this because it will be Fun. I'm bored yeah, let's see okay. what happens when the devil summons ah, Ikigai Ikigai <laughs> exactly um are you telling me they leave the house travel all the way to the airport go through security <laughs> check in and it's not till they're up in the clouds that he asked her what happened at the house. Again, odd pacing. Pacing, editing of just like that is that is a pet peeve of mine, not just in this film, but in a lot yeah. of things. It's, it's like it might work in the chronology well, not even in the chronology of the film. Probably it might look good on screen. Yeah. But it that's not how people no, behave. It's not natural. No. He would be like, look, before we go to the airport, what happened? Yeah, literally like travelling to the airport, he'd yeah. be like, what happened with Fargus? Why was he literally sleeping with the fishes? I'm like, there's so much time between us, like his house, him though. finding out, and then him trying to find out exactly what happened. Yeah. It's just... It's like, you, you would so not unnatural. leave it that long. No. That, you would have sorted this long before then. Um, the Baroness secretary. Se- the Baroness's secretary <laughs> is a formidable woman. She looks like a Bond villain. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm a book nerd with a beard and a moustache and a penchant for long coats. Why do mysterious, attractive French women not follow me around? Because uh, you don't have any valuable books. Is it because I need to slick my hair back and yeah. get an ear piercing? You got to start smoking. I've got, I've got some Johnny Depp style. I've got, I've got some Corso style glasses. Oh. Mate, you know these are these are my 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 sensible eye can glasses. We, can we talk about his glasses? <laughs> can, two things about his glasses. <laughs> the first one, the first pair. Why? What he is got the little it? wire thing that hooks around his ear? What is that all about? It's a very old-fashioned thing. Secondly, he's in the middle of fucking Paris. <laughs> his glasses get broken, and suddenly he's out of nowhere. Got another pair. Like they'll they'll show you thirty-second clips of him lighting cigarettes. For no reason. But I won't explain where I suddenly got a pair of prescription glasses. You don't even... The what you need is like a, a, a 10 second shot of, of him, him walking, walking out, out of an opticians. Yeah. yeah. Like, thank God book pays me so much money. I can afford these. I, I can... I could... I shoot... I could... I could yeah, forgive that in, in a film set in 2021, 2022. Yeah. Because you can get that sort of shit. You can yeah. literally just walk into a, uh, a chemist and buy new glasses for most prescriptions. Yeah. Bosh. But this is like set the in the nineties, yeah. where you know that that disposable want it now culture wasn't wasn't quite ingrained, no. especially in somewhere like Paris. Yeah. Uh, would you join a Satanist organization that revolves around orgies? Why are you even asking me that? Because I just wanted to say, yeah. Obviously, me too. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm not such a fan of the tattoo; it's a little bit tacky. But I know yeah. your employer is waiting on the phone. But 
wouldn't you spend 30 seconds cleaning the blood off your forehead before you go into, <laughs> into the As soon as he says that, he's like, yeah, I'll take it downstairs. I'll take it in the lobby. And it's just like, wipe your face, wipe your face. Yeah. He even looks at himself in the plaque while yeah. he's on the phone. And it's like, he just doesn't, just ignores it. It's like he has, he is just bait personified. Like, he walks in and out of places with their bodies, does nothing <laughs> to hide the fact that he's there at all. No. Like, he walks around covered in blood, doesn't feel the need to, like, and if anybody is doing surveillance on him, <laughs> it just looks like the most fucking... Guilty person yeah. will ever meet, yeah. Um, dishy. Dishy, yeah. The word dishy. I was like, right, I've got to take a note yeah. of that because I haven't heard that used since I haven't heard that since the 90s, no. Um, my permission did not extend to that, Mr. Corso. Yeah. At la- I mean, first of all, that line genuinely made me laugh. Sorry, we've for the third time we've done it again. Baroness Thatcher, finally someone who thinks the smoking around prize artifacts isn't yes! wise. Yeah. A bibliophile who finally exhibits a modicum of concern for her books. It's like there's a whole foundation set up to preserve these books. Yeah. You have built your entire life literally around these books. And, yeah, it's like, why would you not? I mean, we've talked about the fucking windows yeah. and shit like that. It's like She's not perfect. She's but not least, perfect, but at least she's not going to let them smoke. Yeah. yeah. I was just like, oh, mate. Um, that's not the first time. Johnny Depp has emptied two mini bar bottles of whiskey into one glass, is it? Absolutely <laughs> not. He just, he, he's definitely not even acting. <laughs> it looks like he's just got him from set. Yeah, he was just having a hard day at that point. That wasn't even part of the set. That was his hotel room yeah. for the shoot. And he's just like, fucking Roman Polanski, mate. Glug, 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 glug. Yeah. <laughs> you seen the fucking glasses. He's giving yeah. me their square. Yeah. Um, that Dodge Viper is a very nice, very 90s sports oh, car. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is very nice, actually. You see some of the shots of it, and it looks, you're like, okay, yeah, it could be from almost any generation of sports cars. And then you see the wider angle shots yeah. of it, and it's like, that is so 90s. It should be down, it should be on a, a sizzle reel for California, yeah. mid 98 sort of thing. I'm not a car appreciator. I'm not one of these people that's like, oh, that's gorgeous or anything. Mm. Even I was just like, yeah, I'd give my high teeth to, that is, to drive that yeah, car. Yeah, that is, is a very nice car. And that line of dialogue. Where he's like, yo, you could have got something a bit more incon- <laughs> inconspicuous. And she's like, people would give their high teeth. To and I was like, I have not heard anybody use that phrase yeah, outside, of, teeth. outside of England. That is uh, that is a biblical reference. Ah. Eye teeth uh, refers to your fang teeth, your yeah. canines. Uh, and they're referred to as your eye teeth. And especially in snakes, who obviously only have those teeth, well, the venomous ones. And who was famously a snake yeah. in a very famous work of fiction? Yeah. But, you know, the, the missing star of this film. <laughs> I, just, I just want to see Dave Grohl's Satan pop up at the end. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know it was I didn't know any of that. You've yeah. just you've just elucidated me. But like just that's the kind of phrase I haven't heard anyone use outside this country since the 90s. Yeah, so it's, it's a phrase my nan used yeah. to use. But these days, it's like nobody uses no. that. And it's a. I thought it was a UK-centric thing. Yeah, me too. But Turns out it's not. Apparently, they can use it in France as well. I get being a Satanist for, for the orgies, but would you really want to summon the devil? He just seems dangerous and he can't be that trustworthy. Yeah, that's the thing. All of these things around packs with the devil, it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. You know, it... it Traditionally, the devil wants to stick it to God any way he can. Yeah. And giving someone the power to be equal to God, even though biblically that's supposed to be impossible yeah. because unless God wills it, 
because apparently everything the devil and all of his minions do is only because God lets them do it, in which case God's a bit of a dick. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of get that, but obviously the devil's made it very difficult. And every you look at like Tokia, the guy who wrote these books, was literally burned at the stake, yeah. and his best buddy Lucifer didn't help him out. It's like, okay, so this guy clearly was told how to do the rituals, but the devil wouldn't let him do the rituals. Yeah. Instead, let him give, be burned to death at the stake. Am I really going to carry out these rituals? Especially fucking Balkan when he yeah. does it. And he's like, no, look, oh, look, I'll show you how cool I am. You would test it first. You're yeah. like, okay, well, let me do a pin, prick my thing that no, I'm bleeding. It didn't work. Yeah. You don't go, hey, I'm going to fuck this chainsaw because I'm invincible now. You, yeah. It just leaps from one to the other with no... Like, was the fire even necessary? When he when he when they're like having their little pre ceremony before the orgy, yeah. <laughs> and he bursts in and starts like berating them. Mumbo like, jumbo, mumbo yeah. jumbo. I'm like, no, mate. They've got the right idea. Yeah, dress up, fuck each other, all in the name of the devil. Yeah, and you, then go about your business. You have missed the point of this. Yeah, they don't actually want to summon the devil. They just want to have kinky sex. Yeah. Let don't, you know, don't kink shame, buddy. Oh, no, to say that when it, the camera turns and you see the people, you there, see right? most of the people there, yeah, they're like, You're like, Oh my god, they're in the 60s, they're all they? old. Yeah. I, I'll just stick to what's the name who's doing the reading. Yeah. Um, um, what a waste of a castle! Sorry, what a waste of castle ruins with his money. You could have rebuilt that, you could have rebuilt it. We could have gone there and done a ghost hunt. Yeah. Tragic waste, tragic. Waste. Um, I love the 90s use of nudity, which kind of harks back to my earlier. Thing about this not being about this being about being a supernatural comedy that they then sprinkled yeah. adult elements into it because you get a flash of stockings from her at the beginning yeah. and then you get to see her as she completely unnecessarily takes her thong off and walks across yeah. the room to put her robes on and that is such so 90s oh, and they yeah. would just go like hey we're getting we're in the, the the last act of the film let's get some Let's get a bar more, a quick bit of side boob in there. In the eighties, there was definitely a like a genre of horror films where like, oh yeah, you would expect nudity, right? Yeah, and I feel like this is like in that same vein. Yes, this borrowed quite heavily from that. But I mean, I've only got one note left, and it's my sum up note. But I've got a couple left. So you do them, and then we'll get back to it. Because okay. what I was going to say, I was using my. Oh, okay. Um, those robes are pretty cool in a naff edgelord kind of oh, way. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> I mean, satin, maybe not. Get a nice linen, perhaps yeah. some silk, maybe if you really want to splash out. But mm, I mean, it was the late nineties, I yeah. suppose. Cheap satin and all that. And like, I suppose you're only going to take them off to fuck anyway. So, but that's the thing. Like, once they all start running out and exiting, there's even more like pointless nudity. Pointless nudity when a couple of the women just off. put it off and run down the the driveway. But like. All the women are naked. A lot of the guys you see outside that are trying to get their stuff off, they're all not. wearing boxes. Yeah. And it's like, ooh. Yeah. Well, it was the 90s. Yeah. You weren't allowed to show a schlong on, 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 on sensible films, <laughs> if this counts for, for giving value as sensible. Uh, it's not fair that Johnny Depp hitchhikes halfway across rural France after getting beaten up by all and sundry, doesn't sleep for at least 24 hours, and still looks better than most people I know on their best days. Yeah. It's not fair. No. I mean, I know, I know movie magic and all that, but he should look like shit. Yeah. But it's like, he literally, at one point, is in the back of a van with some sheep. Yeah. He should look like utter shite, but he doesn't. 
His hair is immaculate. He's not even got bags under his eyes. That's another one of my peeves in films and TV is like <laughs> when someone does something like that, you want them to look like they've just done it. Like when people wake up in bed. Yeah. And they just full face of makeup, their hair's <laughs> and you're like, that's just not true. That's or when people ridiculous. have just had sex in a film. Yeah. And they go, they go up and they put their dressing gown on to go get a drink. And they and they're still like model perfect. Yeah, and it's just like, it's I'll like just if you've come out of sex, yeah, looking like that, that was shit. You've sex. done it wrong, yeah. buddy. Like, just give us some reality, please. Just, yeah, a little bit of realism. Um, the end of this film always seems a little bit rushed to me. So he goes back to Spain. He finds the missing yeah. original page. Uh, then he's suddenly back in France, walking up to the the ruins, and a big shiny door opens. I get like the mystery element and not saying, oh, this is what happened and this happened next and he spoke to blah, blah. Yeah, okay. So it's deliberately an open-ended film. But it just seems like they were told that the film had to end at two hours, 13 yeah. minutes, but had already edited two hours and 10 minutes. Yeah. And we're like, fuck. Okay, well, we'll just chop everything else out. Three minutes there. He goes to the shop. They're not there. Gets the page. Goes and shiny door. There Watch. is... Not enough story in this film for it to be two hours and 13 minutes. Yes. Like, this is a good 145, 150. Yeah, that's that's what I assumed it was going to be. Tightly edited, like, good, like, properly paced film. Yeah. Like, this is what, again, what I was getting at earlier. Like, it's just so weirdly paced, and they do so many things that are unnecessary to slow it down that by the end, it's just like, Right, let's get it done. Bosh, 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 done. Like, and out. The fuck? What it's like they didn't want to pay overtime out? to the editors or yeah. something. Um, <laughs> that was my last night, okay. BT Dumps. This film. This film? This fum. film. That's because I've just written the word fully. <laughs> this film never fully commits to being any one film. No. It feels like it wants to be a thriller, but that is undermined by some of the musical choices it makes yeah. in certain scenes. It seems like it wants to have some eroticism. But the sex scene and nudity seems out of place because it's not titillating. Mm. It wants action, but the action is done so poorly that it feels like an afterthought. And it seems to want to have a mystery element, but it's far too obvious for that to work. Yeah. So what is this film? It's I it sounds ridiculous to say it, given how harshly I've criticized some other films that fall into the same traps. But to me, that's part of the appeal. This film doesn't know what it is, so it kind of bimbles from one to the other. For me, it works. It's it, by no means should this be held up as any kind of benchmark for, no, for no, filmmaking no. art. It was. It's got a certain charm to it. Yeah, that I enjoyed. I vastly enjoyed. But like, you know me, I've all been on some broomsticks and Dad's Army because. <laughs> They had a certain charm to them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and this film is entertaining. It's it thoroughly is, yeah, watchable. Which is stupid. Yeah. But I still can't give it more than a 6.5. I knew you were going to say that. Uh, I am giving it a 7. Okay. Again, this may be rose-tinted glasses for me. Of but, course. Um, I, yeah, I enjoyed this film. I will probably watch it again. Oh, I can't say I'll watch it again. I didn't think I you would, it. no. <laughs> I did enjoy it the two times I watched it this weekend. But, like, I think I summed it up pretty well. Like, I'm not really sure what this film is supposed to be. Yeah, it kind of... Yeah, it, it's not even like it sits awkwardly between these genres. It 
fully commits to one of them for about two minutes yeah. and then bounces across to something or you get an awkward transition yeah. where it fully commits to being something else for a few minutes and then it awkwardly transitions to yet a third thing. I feel like it's a film made by committee. I can't yeah. see a celebrated film director like Roman Polanski making intending this. to make this film. Like this is a guy that Johnny Depp took less money than he's worth yeah. to work with, right? Let's have, let's have a look. What films has Roman Polanski? So this feels like a film that was almost made by committee. Like if he was going to actually make this film, he had to do certain things to keep certain people happy to yeah. get this film made. You get, you get that impression. Yeah. Um, He's still making films as of 2019. Yeah. Uh, Often a spy. I don't recognise most of these. The Pianist. Oh, The Pianist. I have. I've heard of. Uh, Roman Polanski's Vanity Fair commercial. Pirates. 1986. Chinatown. Macbeth. Rosemary's Baby. Oh, yeah. I've heard of that. Yeah, I've heard of that. Never seen it. Uh, World's Most Beautiful Swindlers. I mean, we're going back to this is in the sixties yeah. here. He's made a lot of films, most of which I don't recognise. I imagine he's where he is because he's celebrated yeah. as like some. He was probably really good in the sixties. <laughs> Just that's what I'm assuming. Yeah, because looking at a Venus in Fur, I remember the name of that. I've never seen it though. That was 2013. Yeah, <sighs> he's made a lot of films, but like I said, most of them I don't recognise. I think maybe this film really suffered as well from not being made in the American studio system. Yeah, I can imagine it would be a very different, much slicker film had it been made in the US with access to US stuff rather than... Because, I mean, you look at European films from this era, they have a similar aesthetic aesthetic to this. And, yeah, I suppose this was made in European studios, continental European studios, obviously. not. I'm not talking about our ones. No. Because um, then you talk about like Pinewood and yeah. stuff like that, but this was made in continental European studios, France and and Spain primarily, and they have that sort of look to yeah. them in the nicest possible way. They look ten years older than they yeah. are because that was the I hesitate to use the word art house, yeah. but it was that sort of yeah. vibe. European cinema up until fairly recently had that predominantly that sort of vibe to until, it until. It became a viable kind of mainstream sort of film to watch. Like before, it started foreign films started getting Get, getting legs overseas. Yeah, they were. Yeah, like now you have like this whole channels on Sky where they just show just show international films or, or just dramas from around Europe yeah. and stuff like that. But I think at this point in the nineties. European films hadn't jumped into the mainstream. No, they hadn't made the leap outside of their own country. It wasn't cool to watch Europe or watch like European (laughs) films. So I feel like they hadn't had the opportunity to catch up with what we were doing in Britain and America. Yeah. But that being said, it's still an entertaining film. It's on Netflix. It's it's worth. It's definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it. Yeah. There's a better film about Satanists. Oh, there's a better film about books. Yeah. It's buried in there somewhere. It does make me want to go out and find rare books. 
So if anyone's got any re- re- really rare books, even ones about the devil, do yeah. hit me up. Send us your address. Send us your address or just send me the books. I'm not going to send you any money because I'm skinned. Send me the books anyway. Find what you love, believe in it. Positive things will happen.